everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Chai with Rye, a show I like to call my digital jukebox of hidden gems, in which I reach out to working creatives in the entertainment and fitness industry. We discuss all things from life lessons to politics, socialism, culture, history to love to sex, the digital space, and of course, the industry, and so, so much more. The message of this show for me is for it to be a space for the guests and those tuning in to reflect, for it to come across as we're tuning into friends having one of those deep conversations mixed in with great banter. You know what I mean? Kind of like when you're watching like Big Brother or or Gogglebox, but like the audio version of it. (laughs) Then at the end, to make things light, we play some games and have a quiz, which is one of my favorite parts, to be honest, because you just let go and be a kid in a playground. By the way, if I haven't mentioned this before, Chai with Rai is an IGTV live show, which I transfer into audio format. So to watch any of the videos, such as of this episode or the previous episodes, simply go to my Instagram at RaiMuitFum, that is R-A-I-M-U-I-T-F-U-M, and scroll through my IGTV. And don't forget, by the way, to follow, like, subscribe, comment, and share. You have no idea, but your support really helps the show and the message of it grow. And of course, go follow these amazing people that are on these episodes and give them some love because isn't that what we want at the end of the day some love (laughs) anywho i'm gonna stop rambling and without further ado let's get into today's episode Today's guest is Saran Kohli ji. Um, Saran Kohli and I met through the medium of dance. Um, and I'm just going to do a little background on Saran. For those of you who do not know, Saran is a fashion designer, dancer and choreographer based in London. He's the owner and founder of Saran Kohli, his label. His career started in fashion and he graduated from London College of Fashion in 08. He worked as a PR and marketing assistant for the Japanese designer Michiko Koshino. I hopefully have pronounced that correct. And then he went on to sales and worked a little bit in Hugo Box. And then he created his line and premiered it in New York, if I'm correct. Um, I don't know if that was during Fashion Week, so we'll find out in regards to that. Then he went on to create several collections such as Palm, I Am Coley, Savoy, and recently launching his two ventures, which we're going to go on to talk about as well, with um, singer V Kapoor and a vitiligo mask uh, with artist Mira Abad. He's done uniforms for the Bloomsbury Hotel, St. James Court. Uh, in 2016, he created his outlet. He does bespoke appointments. Mate, I am going on. His works has been featured on, <laughs> featured on GQ, Esquire, Asian Wealth, Kush Magazine, BBC, Asian Wedding, MTV and more. Um, some of the people who have worn his work have been Jay Sean, Sachin Tandulkar, Juggy D, Mumsy Stranger, Simon Webb, and so many more. He has won countless awards, two of the most prestigious ones being Best Newcomer in Fashion Design at the International Awards in 2011, an outstanding award for concept and choreography at BDC in New York. His dance journey includes touring with Yo-Yo Honey Singh, BBC program. He's been a part of Company 68 when I was a part of Company 68, so I'm really excited to talk about that. 201 Dance and Snatch. Um, we're going to get Saren on here and get this started. But- Hello! How are you? I've got my chai, by the way, so... I've got, I got my chai as well. <laughs> well, just to let you know, I've got my chai and I've got my chapel, so, you know, <laughs> I... <laughs> you know how it is, isn't it? Work from Just, home vibes. I know. How you been? 
I am very good. That was that was quite an introduction. I, I I was getting goosebumps just the way you were describing. I didn't. I felt like I was an awards evening and it's about to <laughs> pop up in a curtain. <laughs> um, I want to ask you firstly, how was your week? How was everything? What you've been doing? What you've been up to? Uh, you know, By it's one way, of those. Wait, yeah. Wait, before we start, how's Gabber and how's Auntie? Mom's well. She's playing Ludo. She's addicted to Ludo. <laughs> we we have this thing at home. After six o'clock, it's just like this WhatsApp group just goes pinging. Who's available? And it's just like. <laughs> Six to nine, it's just Ludo time. And I think it's really good. I love Ludo. I grew up on Ludo. And then since yeah. this came as an app, through lockdown, it's just become like a religious thing. Like, forget Diwali, forget Aarti Puja, right? Just, just Ludo would be it. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she's well. She's she's just becoming a pro. It's a new career for her. So, Gubber is really well, chilling. He's just been walking around, following me. Like, what am I doing? Because every time I, I, as soon as I go, he loves chai, by the way. He loves team. Does he really? He's a he's a proper British and a proper Desi kutta. So <laughs> can they have um, tea? Can dogs have uh, tea? Well, when he was when he was like a pup, he would sip on anything I give him. But he was like he's <laughs> he'll sip on tea. But he, it's it's the other thing. It's the biscuits because yeah. it's sugary. So every time I he sees me make chai, he then starts barking and he points at the cabinet where the biscuits are. And I'm kind of but they're good. Thank you. How's everyone at home? Your side. Yeah, everything's good. Um, can't complain. It's been raining, so it's been an interesting, I think, weather. And I hurt my foot, which I was just saying. But I you know, saw. How's how's the foot? How's the energy going? It's it's better. It's basically yeah. because I don't know about you. I'm a hoarder, so I keep like old shoes from like four years ago, and the sole is damaged. But I, I wore you. them, and like I literally was limping like this the entire rest of the oh. day, and now it's swollen. So I paid the price. Oh man! Um, but at least you're looking good with the tash. So I. I I knew you were gonna say that. I was like, it's because I'm trying to copy you. I don't know how you do it. I don't know uh, how. I, I'm right now as as uh, what do you call beard gang or wavy hashtag you call throw at me. But I'm oil oiled up and moisturized here. But it's <laughs> it's winter time. Hibernate. Yeah. I so. feel like you and I have swapped because like I had a beard and now you have a beard and you had a stash and now I have a stash instead of you. I, I remember me and you first time and I think it was you you were you were full full on I think I remember it was, no, so, was no, it was no, it no. or was it was it was wait it? we met initially at company 68 back in yes. like 2012 or 2013 I don't, wait, I don't remember were we at the auditions did, we did were we? at the auditions but we didn't know each other as well we did we after didn't right know. Yeah. I remember speaking to you properly at the Olivia Awards and I think we spoke a couple of times in Company 68 rehearsal yeah, when, yeah. like, Ola was, co- uh, Ola Papior, I think it yeah, is, she was choreographing. Ola, yeah, and yeah. she was like, guys, I want, like, a count of, like, eight, like, freestyle, like, you pop up and you pop up and you pop up. And I was, and she was like, what different styles have you got? And I was like, well, I've got a little bit, like, Indian. And then I remember you were like, well, I'm Asian. Um, I can do Bhangra, which is basically <laughs> like this. And I was like, <laughs> I remember just us freestyling and, like, learning bits of choreo and things like that i think that that's how we met and i had long hair back then and no beard and he used to come that's in it. with like a stash and a hat yeah. all the time yeah i think i had a dancing platform right here so it's, it's just <laughs> <laughs> so good times actually yeah what was it four or five years ago four years ago i think four and a half yeah four years i ago. think yeah that's a long yeah. time ago good the right yeah the rites of passage i think like company 68 that you know is um I want to ask you, I just said all those things about you and I was researching you this entire week. And yeah. I just said to my partner as well, which I was like, I know Stern as a dancer and I just know you as this like laid back guy. But now like literally looking at the plethora of work that yeah. you have done, how does it make you feel? Do you sometimes like do a pinch me moment and you're just like, uh, 
No, I'm completely the opposite. Actually, oh, I'm really? always I, I'm um I'm laid back in my body language. It's probably because I've just got a bit mature. If you met me early twenties, I'll be yeah. like a I'll be like a Power Ranger and uh, changing colors all the time. But no, I I don't know. I'm I'm always in an uncomfortable mode. I feel like I haven't done um enough. I I I just feel like I haven't. I uh and also a lot of, and you're absolutely right. I think I don't shout too much about myself in a sense is that. I wish I could sit down and create my website in such that way I don't have to explain. I would like yeah. just 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 here you go. Just 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 check me out. But I, I think it's one of those things where um because I'm transitioned from pre Facebook Instagram era and I've done I think yeah. it's one of those things where if I was born generation Z I think I could just shout constantly. But you, I mean I'm 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 a first batch of millennials. I'm the experiment. So it's it's one of those okay. things where yeah. So yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. I think I, that's what I am. I'm, all, I'm an uncomfortable soul where I feel, no, keep, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, and then to see what happens. I was just going through your page and going through like massive amounts of work that you've done. And I think the one thing that I would say is that stands out to me and that really hits home to me. And partially I'm envious of, I just want to say, is the, the strong connection you have, A, to your mother, the, the family and special connection that you have with your sister, you talk about your grandfather a lot um, when he says like Bandaban. Um, mm. And, you know, just I think to the culture, just in general. And I didn't know of your, of your mother's history as much, which I'm just going to put up a picture of. For those of you who do not know, this is Saren's mother. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a trip from Pakistan. Uh, you guys have been uh, to Pakistan? Well, the, I'll, I'll tell you a story about this picture. It's 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 something pending for me, but my mom's yeah. fulfilled it. Uh, so my my grandparents are from pre-Pakistan, uh, from pre-partition Pakistan, uh, and yeah. uh, uh, Mangwal and Chakwal uh, region. Yeah. Um, that's from my mother's side, and my grand great grandfather's from that side. Built a school for children, uh, young children, and uh, as a legacy for where yeah. they were from. And that school still stands today. Um, and she had gone to visit, and that's the darwaza from the house that used to be my grandmother's. And next door to that, a couple of rows down, is the entrance of the back entrance to the school. Wow. So, so that was a trip that she had made. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I was born then or not, but yeah, it's one of those trips early in in her heydays. She had gone just when she was married, and she made a trip to to pay homage to the town my my grandparents are from and this is this is this is the only picture i have of any one of us to go to pakistan and see this so this is the holds day to me because i feel this is a pending trip for me to go from where i think where my my, my, my you know the journey of journey of my, my lineage as you presented yeah my, yeah my my roots well i think like i've been longing to go to um india because i have been kind of like denied twice um because i hold a i think like my mom made it for me it was a long time ago it's like a pakistani visa yeah. and but my they, their family is from punjab so they always right. talk about that and i think i'll take you a trip on like my side you take me a trip on your side let's do that Oh, hundred percent. I want to cross the Vaga border and just walk and then get there. And because yeah, that's, I think that, I think that's the quickest route for me to go from Lahore and then down whatever. Yeah. But uh, it would be an absolute honor to just travel and to send, see Pakistan from grass grassroots. Yeah. It really is beautiful. I think like it's the same with India. I think regardless of the politics and things that are said, um, yeah. it really is a beautiful space. I think both sides. But yeah, going back to the relationship that you have with your mother. 
I just want you to describe like just a little bit of it. It's really tangible. By the way, I didn't, apologies if I'm bringing it up, like, uh, and if it's a sensitive, I didn't read anything about your father. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, just talk to me about like your family dynamics and situation and your close relationship with yeah, them, so you know? basically, I come from a single family, so that's that's one one half of the story in terms of I'm so close to my mom and also I've been brought up half in India and half here, so I was born yeah. here age two, then I went back to India and lived with my grandparents um and I came back when I was just just over ten, and I just started um my um my high school my 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 secondary school year seven so so that's why my language and my values are very intact with me from my from thanks to my grandparents and that's why I'm so close to my grandfather because he's the one actually been my real father my father wasn't really active and hence the reason why when my mom and dad split um she made the decision of sending us to to my to my grandparents and that's her journey where it starts because she decided to build a house, start a business, and she wow. had nothing. And she decided, I'm going to start a fashion business. And I'm going to, she promised that the only time my children will come back is when I've got my first house and they would come. So it's like, a, it's like, any, you know, there'd be a Bollywood film. <laughs> so it's, it's like that. So it's, it's one of the things where um, I've grown up without my mom being there all the time. So I value the time that I'm with. And because the nature of the business that I've gone into and the time that I've spent, I've always been around and she's an inspiration. I feel very blessed to have a role model in-house and just a mentor just to be around to to to, to speak to someone that is very, very real and hands-on. And I feel my, me and my mom have a best friend relationship. You'll see my friends rather hang out with her than me. <laughs> so that's who she is. She's Rachel. So, uh, and I think it's very, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing position to be in because you feel like you have the comfort and um, there's no barrier as such. There's no sort of, from my upbringing, it's been very much like part, very much DNA South yeah. Indian, but then suddenly it's sort of very liberal. Like my mom's like, you know, do what you want, be who you want. Gilebnis in the gi types, you know, like, you know, there, there's, there's no parada, like parada just floating away and you're like, this, this river is flowing and this path yeah. is being built. So it's like, yeah, it's very, it's like dramatic from one extreme to another. But yeah, so th- she's, 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 she's my golden star that is always shining. She's probably listening back there and thinking, I'm just doing, <laughs> I'm just doing muck and marring. So yeah, so. <laughs> no, it really was apparent. And I think like, I, I, I didn't know that all three of you are within fashion, which I'm going to go yeah. on to. But I just researching on your mother and correct me if I'm wrong. She's, I think, one of the first pioneers of British fashion. And she kind of like pioneered this sort of way of luxury Asian fashion. And um, she created her boutique, which is Hoopsuit in 1983, which mm. was in Green Street. Um, and she's dressed the likes of like Theresa May, Prince Andrew, Bollywood stars such as Sushmita Sen, Sanali Bandre, Amrita Rohan, and so much. But I thoroughly, and I started researching on her as well, and this brings me on to my next question. One of the things that she talks about predominantly in a lot of her YouTube videos, which she says like when she didn't have a boutique or any sort of platform, she would go to people's houses and she would have things in the back of her car and like she would go to these high society sort of things, present her work style. And then, you know, people approached her after the way they saw that she dressed. I just want to know, how did it feel? Were you a part of that or was the shop already made when you kind of like grew up? And how did it feel growing up in that sort of fashion era of like late 80s, early 90s? Uh, so I have a bit of, I, I've seen from both sides in a sense, and I yeah. explain this in such a way is that, um, being brought up 
sorry, my mom started retail in 85. She started business yes. in seven. She started fashion in 1978, uh, wow. 79 or something. No, uh, yeah, 80, 80, 80, right about <laughs> 79, 80. Yeah. Um, but it was called Marvish. She was called a different brand. And she, she was in a position where she was actually supplying to brands like you've had Thumbnies, you've had other brands. So she was actually designing for a lot of houses that were there, but these weren't designer labels. And then, and then suddenly when life struck hard and she wanted to be independent, it was a case of literally building the business piece by piece. And she would um, travel. And the only, the, the, the thing was, it's very rare for any, any brand or any designer to be in a position of yeah. that. She wanted to be in a position where she's, she wanted to be very creative, design the product. So it was a family unit. My grandfather invested and at those times gave her 25,000 rupees to start her business and, and said, I want this money back. And so, because my, my grandfather's, uh, you know, um, he's, he's a, he, he's, he's a, a lepton colonel from the army. So he was like, six months, ROI, you got to get this done. And my, my mom being an economic student, she was very tuned. She was very forward yeah. thinking. She was like, fine, you're going to give me a deadline. I'll probably meet. So she set up a unit in the house where I grew up and it was yeah. an in-house thing where my Masi was involved, my grandfather, it was in-house uh, um, crafts. So everything was designed at source, made at source. On, uh, and, she, and she used to fly, fill the suitcase, go back, door to door, she'll go and sell and build a business. It was like a car, her and houses. That's literally what it was back then. There wasn't really a, um, a street, what we call today. By the time she opened yeah. retail, there was like Marks and Spencers and Debenhams next to her and Greg's and stuff. So it's not what it was. If she was in Plastic Grove, which is off Green Street, then suddenly yeah. came on Green Street. So it's a very organic, um, it's the beginning of the first generation of South Asian designers where literally there was no speck of, or silhouette of, except what we see today is history pages of 60s of immigrants yeah. landing. And we see, we, 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 you know, we see those studios and trainers. That's literally what it was. But it evolved because it was very internal. Um, and if that movement didn't start then, we wouldn't have both what we have, our, what we have today. So like any cultural um, progress, that's, this is the beginning of what it is. And she's part of that. My exposure, I used to see her for the very limited time she would come. And there would be a time when I don't have much memory at the beginning, but it was a case where she'll fly down four times in a month, back and forth. Yeah. And she would, you know, and she would, she would basically come sit. My time with her is when spending time her working and, and I was with her and with the family and I would spend, I would be with her and stuff. And, wow. and then my summer trips to, 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 to London, I would see her at work. So this is how I grew up exposed with what she did here, what happened then, there. So this is how, this is how I see saw her grow, but it, it didn't, I, it didn't click to me till I was much in my teenage years of how much of the picture was already built for me to understand, wow, like I can now understand this as, as, as a much of a kiddo, part of a kiddlehood, you'd say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. You have a dance passion, which clearly I've experienced and that has brought us together. But yeah. what I want to ask is, did you and your sister, obviously you can't speak for that because both of you are in fashion. Did you kind of feel a, a pressure or a sort of, uh, I don't know, a sort of urgency to go into fashion? No. Um, well, no, on the contrary, we both are. It's, it's a decision we consciously made. My sister studied textile management at UMIST, Manchester, yeah. then did, uh, then did uh, MSc at Queen's, moved to New York because she, she, she's what we call childhood love and got married really young, like 22. 
and yeah. basically moved to New York and then suddenly calls mom and say, I want to get into this business. Just had no influence and just decided to drop her IT job and just get into this. And that was it. That was her because she's, we're, we're seven years apart. So she was way ahead of time for that time. Yeah. So she decided to do that. My, my journey was different because I think I was the more creative person and a very much more an entrepreneurial person where I'll be a hustler at school and, and, and a dance life or outside of school. And then I decided to study fashion at university and yeah. my, my tr transition was very much consciously made because I had my interest and I wanted to understand the business of fashion. It wasn't much designing at that time. It was just, I was really fascinated about fashion and I wanted to understand the, the business. And I think because I was exposed and, but it wasn't when I said like mom expected me to be in the shop or anything. It's just because that was a way to spend time and bond with your family. So that's, that's the key difference between me and my sisters that we both Though I feel I wanted to be an actor, period. I wanted to be an actor when I was young. That was me. I feel Shower, like you still can yeah. be. I seriously, every time we've been on set, you have such a magnetizing, charismatic sort of personality that oh, I man. really think that one day I look forward to working with you in a piece of like film because I think Please. you, I really believe, not I think, I really believe that you have it. You have like such a, I don't know, such an, such a, I don't know, one of those like old school, um, Rishi Kapoor sort of like wow mm, about wow. you wow that's the first time I've been compared to a legend like that I, I grew up with a completely different um, <laughs> mindset I wanted to be the slow-mo guy I wanted every oh, really? shot of me to be in slow-mo <laughs> <laughs> so no yeah I really wanted to I, I, I you know I, I, for me uh, I don't know like dance was my first love dance is my yeah. first love um, and um, and it was one of those things where um, I I don't know what it is, but my, my family says this. I had a rhythm to the time that I, I popped out into this world because <laughs> literally like it was, it was uh, literally from the get-go because at the age of four or five, I would just dance. I, music was on. I'll move. Yeah. And um, I'm talking about the era growing up in Delhi, 90s, nostalgic stuff. A lot of it, which is in trend right now, like that whole Balaji thing. That was why oh, I grew up God. in. It yeah. was like thumb, thumbs up Limka and Paliji was my, my, my breakfast, lunch and dinner. So it's that time when, you know, we only had a TV where like I had a little screw where you basically have five buttons and you tune it. So MTV was the only universal commercial channel available. So I was exposed to Michael Jackson, yeah. uh, Motown, uh, James Brown. And then suddenly you had the ARMR and Deva era. So by the age of six, I was moonwalking. I knew how to moonwalk, slide, I, you know. And I used to just dance in the living room and everyone used to just watch on the side and, and just basically, yeah. And I used to get invited to birthday parties of random friends just because I, I could dance. <laughs> I, was that, I was that dude with a turban. I used to have a turban back then. So I was that dude who was be the special act for every every kid and be like, yeah, I'll come, man. You know, it was, I was hustling back then. I was like, yeah, man, free food, man. You know, so, <laughs> so yeah, it was one of those things. And it didn't, it didn't, it didn't become a, what do you call a, a hobby slash semi-career or not until I was 14 uh, when I was I, my mum pushed me towards an audition uh, and that's 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 what happened that what was the audition that. oh man so I don't know if you remember Asian wedding exhibition um, yeah yeah it used, to, it used to take place <laughs> so there was a there was a casting call for that for, for when I turned up it, I, I realized it was for models it wasn't for dance and I walked in and everyone is like you know six foot I mean Think about me back then. I was already semi-tiny from what I'm now. How old are you at I, this point? I was 14. I was oh, third, okay. 14. And um, I walked in and I felt so nervous. I kid you not, I was so nervous that I could physically see the heart come out of my body, like literally. And it was just a very, 
Bollywood moment where it was like a Hindi serial where everything was a flash, everything was like a repeat. So everyone gave me a stare. I will see it five times, <laughs> and I had to really like unplug myself. And um, this was by this was a casting call with uh, uh, choreographer Shazian Samina, who started what you would know today as signature dance. Uh, uh, Michael J- Michael Jackson and the and uh, Michael Jackson pair that did Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, yeah. So so I I didn't know I was walking into this Disney club because there was a lot of talent in the room. There was Madhu, there was Suleiman, there was Jay Sean. Like younger days, he was a model. He used to do ramp walking. There was Mutz. There was loads of people that you recognize as household names much later. But this is when they were in their university days. Yeah. Trying to be cool and be like ripped jeans and chains and stuff, and this is me just be kind of like curtains, and I'm like, yeah, I want to dance. I didn't, I don't have to walk. <laughs> so, so, so my turn came. I, I just walked up, and everyone went silent because that's what everyone was doing. I walked up, but when I walked up, and I said, oh hi, uh, you're, 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 you're young and stuff, and you know, what's your age and name? And I said, yeah, my name is Sarah, and I go, you know, but I want to dance. I, I, I haven't come for a modeling. She goes, oh, you like to dance. I was like, okay, uh, so show us. I was like, music, please. I was like, you know what? what, what like, someone so and Madhu being Madhu, he's he's a he's he's a joker. He will yeah. find a, he'll he'll create everything into a funny moment. He's like, so you like to dance, eh? This 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 is that. I'll show you. He's like this big Sardarji just doing this half the time, and I'm like making me more nervous. So I said, do you have anything with you? So I had a CD <clears> and I had Tal. So in what they are yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the Tal remix song. So Tal's oh, the remix, yeah. Yeah, yeah so one. I was dancing to that that time and Dilse had come out and there's that era of that whole thing. And so she, she goes, okay, play. So press play, came on. I didn't dance for the first 30 seconds because I was just frozen. Boom, just when doing it, like... Yeah, I, I, no, I was doing nothing. I was just standing oh, still. It was embarrassing because I was like, what is this guy wasting our time for? And all these like good looking people are all around me and I'm, I'm just really nervous because I've never been put... Okay, confidence was different when you're with your friends and you're in your birthday parties, but this but, is like, bro, yeah. just close my eyes. I went for it. I did everything and the music stopped. And I saw everyone's jaw just drop and stare at me. And it was like a Hindi serial again, like suspense. And she just went, you're hired. You're going to have a segment of your own. I want you in the show. And I'm oh, going to get yeah. you too. And then she looked at these two young kids who had come in to dance after me, said, yeah. I don't know how good you are, but you're going to have to dance behind him and, and make sure he's in the front. I was like, okay. So my first, my first gig was my solo performance in between fashion show three times a day for three days straight. Did you get paid? Yes. Oh, thank God. I paid a very small amount. Very I small mean, amount. At least you got paid. That's amazing. I got paid 25 quid. For me, that was... That was, that that was, was making a way back in the day. Yeah, I, wanna, I I got that. And I bought my first hip hop CD. I bought my Public Enemy CD that came out that time, and I just like, yeah, this is this is it, hip hop. Because I was a hip hop head, and then Bollywood yeah. was a little mixture, but it was like a hip hop head. So that was my beginning, and I got signed to them and um, uh, performed with them, and then I pretty much became their core member, and um, later on performed with all the Bollywood stars that came in and Wembley. So we used to be part of that rota. And then, then after that, I joined another dance group called Independence, which is which is which is another Bollywood group, and had an amazing time touring with stuff. But then yeah. I transitioned to street because that's where my heart was. And then I and I, then I launched my own company at Snatch. age seventeen called Snatch. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Snatch was basically Saran Dash Nanach, which is in Hindi. 
Yeah, yeah, so I, I had that thing. Don't you worry, I didn't. <laughs> so that's what it was, and then and then because I had four of the members, I took the dash out, and I thought, yeah, sounds snatch, yeah, very, yeah. So that was it. But it was like any other hip hop crew, like a boy band look, and then start battling and performing and things like that. And yeah, I I used to yeah, I got caught almost expelled from school for soliciting a dance contract in a business business class. um and then yeah so it was like i was always selling something so this was one of the things so yeah so always hustling always yeah yeah i mean i was i was djing at the same time when i was 15 i picked up djing at the same time so i was doing like these small birthday parties i used to sell cds at school so i had these two rappers in my crew and we used to make music and then basically to sell the cds for 5 quid and then i used to boot like um, blockbuster was the time so i used to boot like video games i used to sell them in school and make extra cash on the side and i sold stationery as well so that was one thing but yeah yeah man i just didn't make it to the sun news that's only difference what are those news like <laughs> brown boy makes money selling stationery so it didn't didn't happen bloody so, hell yeah. bloody hell wait so i am now intrigued to ask you the next question which is you have this such a urbanized i feel or such a raw dance background and performance background and hustling background how did you and your mother end up going into the luxury fashion industry like how did you come to design like suits and things like that because when i think of hip hop when i think of jazz and when i think of like street and things like that i'm not thinking tailored suits i'm not yeah. thinking any of that and how is it that you when you were like okay i'm going to create my own label and things like that and when you did the whole new york thing how comes you still haven't created a dance collection Um in fact I have but oh, have hasn't you? I have but not for myself for for dance companies yes but ah. um but it's so I think um bespoke tailoring came with grace with with a little bit of more maturity because I love anything which was handmade I was so engrossed in what seeing my mom make pieces which were I would say it's it's been a very sort of luxury format because it's she's never compromised in quality and been very hands on so I I kind of was exposed to a very fine craftsmanship be it embroidery be it tailoring or couture I was working with masters cutters and I always saw hands on how they would make it there was a very tedious work and a lot of a lot I I still feel today's age we don't appreciate how much actually goes into making that one garment yeah. um that was what it was but then that's not how I started that's eventually but before that I was when I had my dance crew at the same time I used to do styling and when I was at university studying fashion business management I took styling course um illustration course and as and also I was involved with working with musicians and I was working with them and 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 choreographing stuff for them for tours or anything but also at the same time my first break came with Mumzi Stranger me and Mumzi go way back like literally he was he was actually part of snatch and I was part of his music What, really was, yeah yeah it was one of those things where we first kind of I used to his his music used to come out way back then early 2000s I used to yeah. choreograph all the stuff for him But then he he said to me would you style me I said sure and then then it kind of the relationship moved forward way in a sense is that when I I took a sabbatical not a sabbatical but it's like a journey like I Just time finished out. I, I graduated I decided to go to India I wanted to do some charity work so I I taught some dance to off in an orphanage and at the same time I worked in a factory I just wanted to be just be alone to grasp exactly what I want to do and mumsy was like listen I know you're you're learning but if you want to experiment would you like to create a collection for me I'm like Yeah I mean I was honored like you want me to actually create something for him so I created this first collection I I I sent it to the store my mum called me like just melodramatic crying like bitch I just check up like you did so well I like, love it like your idea and it was completely street it was these uh it was these these gilets with like detachable hoods and the, you know and 
um, and jackets. At that time, the Swarovski thing was quite in, so I was influenced by that. Kind of create some like velvet hoodies. I was did really like a hip hop element kind of collection. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for me. Yeah. He had worn it, done a photo shoot. I kind of had his first portfolio, whatever you call it. And those those pieces, he said, listen, though there's a collaboration, put in the store if you get something great. And I put some pieces into the shop. And next thing you know, it's like a few days later, I got an order. And that yeah. was kicked and that 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 was kicked off this whole thing that I should go involved more into it. That was my confidence thing. Because right. I think the expectation was uh, if I just flip into this in the sense is that, okay, there's a platform and I just flip into it and just replace. It wasn't that. It was like, I have to earn myself a position in a space, but I have a personality. I have my own voice. That was the journey behind it in a sense to keep going. And from there led to another musician and to another musician. So I didn't launch formally till 2016, but from 2010, those six, five, six years, I was designing collections. I was uh, designing personalized collections for other people for musicians and stuff and that's where a lot of collaborations like jay sean come in designing for him oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. so this is literally um the time when down started getting played on radio and this is when me and and jake um reconnected and we spoke and i came up with this idea and and when he saw the drawings and he's like, he's like yeah and then i said listen would you look to do it it's kind of was working well and i was so nervous because they had just flown from new york the night the, the come back from new york the night before turns up on the shoot set first time sees a close and he goes i always had faith in you and let's do this so that was my first photo shoot with him and being in my in my stuff and then if you notice in that picture i did yeah. customized trainers so the hip-hop element in that is that i did uh, customized trainers so those trainers he's wearing are first tra oh, tra it, it. yeah but he's those trainers are my first prototype trainers i did way back then infusing indian brocade and those laces and stuff and high tops so so when did you know that this was going to be the thing when did you know you were going to call it southern coolie was it after uh, the stranger or like was it after in new york uh no it was kind of in between that because i was um i didn't sort of market myself it was just like yeah. yeah so i didn't like market myself in the sense that it was just me as a designer it wasn't like a label it was like i designed this is me um, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't till probably about a year before the awards happened, and uh, I had, I would say, a bit of weight because I think it was a case of having a label. You should, you should have some. You should earn something for yourself before you call it a label. And I think I needed something behind me, and that's that's where New York was basically a a launch that I had my sister and me basically joined hands, and she's goes, Sarah, you need to you need to do a show here. So we basically did this um this very sort of like art meets fashion kind of thing where we wanted to hang these these mannequins and do it like an art gallery vibe and do a collection do a catwalk and i tied up with the p with the pi and she aisha um from bb and we basically she was just like sold on the idea and she pushed us and that was kind of like an exposure and i met a lot of people from the new york film industry that were there um at that time sort of budding actors and stuff and that was the kind of the, the thing because I I told them, if anything, this is for the music, this is for the culture, but it's also at the yeah. same time, like what I do. So that was like a, a soft launch, as you say, kind of like introducing myself. And that was my mini catwalk in that. But again, I did it as an installation, not as a yeah. full on thing, as, as a networking thing. And it worked really well. I, I went back and forth to New York um, to do sort of client visits and stuff. So it was a really nice experience. Um, but that was the journey when I started to formulate into a label uh, 2016 was my official launch physically, like a space, environment, label. That's when you had your own shop. You had your own yeah. outlet, right? In South Woodford? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. I, la- I landed in South Woodford and that was my sort of first time sort of joining in into like a fully fledged ex- experience. And uh, but before that, it was all about collaborations, uh, client seats, like hotel uniforms. So it was just more like a designer and a product, but it wasn't a label as such. So I was just transitioning. It was just a journey. I was transitioning to building something to a point where I felt like, yeah, now it's like a full on experience. So it I took longer than I expected, but that was purely because I think I was creatively involved in things like designing for a dance crew, like uniforms or performance yeah. pieces. So, um, yeah. And then that was when I was exposed to that time. I was really much exposed to bespoke tailoring. I was learning the craft, understanding the, the laws. We, I call it laws because people got this rule of thumb behind bespoke in terms of the, the, the A to Z of it. And that's when I really sort of categorized it into this is the kind of man, my profile market and came together as a, as a business model. And that landed you to this wonderful little award. Oh, God. Can't even see half of the photo now. <laughs> so annoyed. I was going to be like, that's going to be... Well, listen, is, uh, you, you, you've been able to do that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So that, that, that was, that was um, an amazing experience uh, because winning that award kind of put a little bit of stamp but boost of confidence because... And another thing about that, if, if you can get a hold of the video, um, I'm actually... I can put it up. Do you want me to put it up? <laughs> oh, there's a feature like that too. Yeah, basically I'm performing in there. So yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah, there every, you go. yeah they're, they're, oh my God, you've done your research. Yeah, so that's, that's me performing. Well, that's from a different, different, I don't know, I that's know, the same one. I'm not trying... No, it's not the same one. Similar. It's, yeah, yeah, similar, but so, you have that sort of mask. Yeah, so it's, that's basically when I was performed in there. And there was a very funny thing because um, and the Siva, who was the show choreographer, trusted me. She goes, Saren, I trust in whatever you want to put on. You don't need any yeah. help. I choreographed the whole segment, music, lighting, everything. And I said, I'll just come in and do my thing. So literally I'm, I'm behind backstage, my clothes that I was sitting on the table waiting to, you know, for whatever category it was, jumped on, did my thing, came up and then just sat back down. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Cheers. Yeah. I, I literally was like, as if I did this, that never happened. That was what it was. And next thing you know, it was like, HSY is there, Lubna's there and, you know, a, a whole plethora of judges and like people who've yeah. done so well. And next thing this happens and I'm like, wow. So yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was, yeah, that was an amazing experience an evening, evening to say like, I, I've done this, I've reached this far. So it's good confidence. I want to ask you, what does luxury fashion mean to you or just luxury in general? Lux- luxury for me Don't take too is... long. No, no, no. It's quality, it's something that stays consistent and it represents the best of what you are because luxury yeah. isn't about price, it isn't about hierarchy, it's about the best thing, best version of that, of that product and the ability to create something without boundaries and to be able to make the most perfect, most beautiful thing it would be. But it stands for something that you aspire to. It's yeah. a ladder that you want to be. And, you know, for luxury, for example, ballet, I would put it as luxuries because when you actually do ballet, you find it's very engineered. When I did ballet for the first time at the age of 25, well, my body, see. my my body, Dunda just went like, it's like someone Maru a Dunda, like old school. And then suddenly you're like, but it's a, it's, it's a form of the perfection of what it needs to be in form yeah. of the art of that. So I find it's the, it's, it's the root for perfection. Luxury is the root for perfection of what you idealize. So, yeah. I also want to touch up on this. So I think your mother said this in an interview and you said it as well, that you guys create high-end haute couture garments. 
and you do bespoke tailoring and you know there's consultations and appointments that can happen in your shop for one hour two hour for me I don't know why but Indian fashion has never been when I was growing up there were only two designers that I knew of there was Anand John in NYC who's come down now because of his <clears throat> he's got incarcerated um, yeah and there was Manish Malhotra. And yeah. for me, whole couture always meant like the likes of Chanel, John Galliano, um, Valentino, McQueen, Versace. And I know of the influence of haute couture in all of these labels, such as the Craftsmanship and the Couturier. But how does that fit in? Or how does Indian fashion play into that? And how do you guys play into that sort of light? Like, I, I, yeah, educate me a little bit. Uh, See, Indian fashion is epitome of haute couture. And yeah. reason being is, and a lot of people have this thing that haute couture means luxury. Now, haute couture is a process. It's a kind of craftsmanship. It's, it's the level. For example, you have a tailor, you have a, craft, you have a master cutter, then you have an atelier who should know every aspect of everything. He's like the bio, he, she's like the bio engineer of everything. Yeah. Then, you have the, then you have someone like the Elon Musk and the Steve Jobs of it. That's who couture because someone who pushes boundaries and creates without, with, with limitations or with whatever it is to create this perfect amalgamation of hand craftsmanship, tailoring, the best of the fabric, but to create a beautiful garment that should stand, stand test of time. Who couture is, goes beyond that. It's the future of the fashion, what it is. It's not for, it's not for the masses. And it's yeah. not that it's classes, it's the affordability factor of it, but it's something that is made to um, stand the test of time. And it's the beauty behind the art of fashion, what it is. And it's more of a style. It's, it's a style, heritage, and, and that's what Ukuture is, is a process. And the process is not something that's done in five days. It could take five weeks, five months, five years. It's, it's not time bound. It is the product and style bound and personality bound of creating an aura of something that hasn't yet existed. Yeah. And that is catching up. So if I create a piece five years ahead of us, people are catching up with it because that's how far it is. So designers, um, be, be it Manish or Tarun or Sabia, have kind of worked ahead that people are still catching up because yeah. they've kind of pushed the needle way beyond where it should be. I want to get your take on like South Asian fashion and kind of like the evolution of it from... I think when yourself and myself were growing up, like I said, I only knew of like two designers that fit into a commercial, which was Manish and Ananjan. Other than that, we would go to like a local sort of like fabric and get it done from like Auntie G down the road, just be like, Ye kurta bana or like something yeah. like that. But now you have like the likes of such as you self-mentioned, like Sabia Sachi, Rohit Baz, Ritu Kumar, uh, Manish Arora, um, you know, Tina Sahlini and like, you have brands like that are coming up. Like Ritik has like uh, HRX and like Salman has was it being human and like so many celebrities and like cricketers even have lines. Discuss to me a the evolution of fashion and how that's changed in terms of the products that now are being put out. How you fit into that and your take on this new wave or this wave of like designers that are out there and the products that they're creating. Uh, okay, so let's let's go back to the time just very briefly. This is what my mom explained to me when she started. There was a university, there was a college. LCF wasn't even here yet. Um, you know, even 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 eighties, University of Arts London was just a conceptual, very small, very very small hub. Um, there was no university. There was no teaching practice. So there was no such thing as a designer format of 
graduation, becoming a designer and all that. It, it came much later. But back then, it was more the, the, the uh, showcase of uh, heritage and craftsmanship. And basically, it was very regional. You could only tell unless you knew your culture, you knew the country really well, where someone's from from that period. So someone's from North India. So it'll be Shalwar Kameez, but someone from South India would be like, you know, um, your uh, uh, silk saris. And, you know, it's, it's very, very different than the Maharashtran. And then you go to Northeast and you'll see ikat prints and you'll see handlooms of different kinds. It was very different. Um, and at that time, exposure wasn't there. Um, and it wasn't seen much. It wasn't uh, worked on much. And also at that time, uh, less, it was very much culturally and religiously and, uh, uh, and occasionally bound. You would wear it if it was wedding. You would yeah. wear it if it was a religious ceremony. You would wear it for this. It was it was representation of a particular cultural uh, cultural significance, and it, it there was the humble beginnings of that. So if suit silvar was meant to be worn then, because that was the only option that was displayed, but that's the only thing that was pushed on the agenda. And later on, as generation change and confidence boost, yes, weddings kind of became, I would say, the first stepping stone to all this, because that's where the people could display that they were aspiring to be more wealthier or aspiring to be Wait, more of the... Did you ever have this? So we had this at weddings where the bride would get clothes and there'll be like suitcases and then like the bride side would actually have like suitcase and this be like, this is by Neetu auntie. This yeah. By... Did you guys have that as well? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I was so not so... Uh, for, you would see me more just... I don't know. I wasn't so involved. I don't remember. Maybe my sister and my, my mom and her friends would be in that sense. But I think back then what it was, it was very simple. Very much yeah. like knockdown weddings today now. Yeah. It's what you see was back then. Uh, you know, it was literally just two people, immediate family, very sort of intimate pictures. That's exactly how it began then. And that was only representation that we had was South Asians. Fashion was very much bound by ceremonies and occasion. Fashion or trend sort of became when economically country kept changing yeah. and and the, we've had waves of this for example 60s is a very good era when things were like the you know very high hair and this and the you know the racing and the saris and the eyeliners yeah, and, 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 like eyeliners and stuff and the, the racing saris and all of this and the dramatic dancing that was one era of it that was a representation of also what 50s and 60s and 70s of the western culture was happening as well there was yeah. a good mix 80s and 90s kind of became bland because India wasn't opening up. Uh, economically, it wasn't opened up. There was no foreign investment. There wasn't um, a sort of like, there was a disparity between wealth and the wealth, the 1% and, and the you know, the, the, bond class. the middle class hadn't grown. They didn't know what to spend their money on. And also layers wasn't created. The evolution kind of happened as soon as culture started opening up and other influences started stepping into this timeline. So it's like looking at it, the Avengers Marvel phase one, two, three, four. It's literally that this is how much this is how many superheroes were back then. Then yeah. everything changed and there was a follow up. Nineties opened up, mid nineties things started opening up, and two thousand is when South Asian fashion really started opening up because representation started increasing, but also confidence started increasing. Designers started taking risks. They were coming out of the school with the thought of designing much beyond than just religion ceremonies or occasions. And they started creating cultural significance in everyday wear. In India, it was much more. Here, yeah. we're preserving culture. In India, it was the opposite in Pakistan and stuff. It was more like, no, we're beyond that because we see this every day. Fast forward to now, what's happened is what we have is called multi-layers. Yeah. Within every layer. It's like, you know, it's like parallel universes of everything. Like you could wear a kurta with trainers much more confidently now. Before then, it was looked down upon. I mean, the trend, let's just say, with sandals and... Uh, 
and socks, um, sliders and socks. I've been seeing them my aunties and uncles and everyone wearing Doing it from the dark. And suddenly I was like, whoa, that is, you know, you would just be like, no, man, that ain't going to be a trend. And now. That's just become, now it's like the trend. And you're like, wow. And like, where is this coming from? I remember seeing a brand. I don't know if you remember. I think it's called Jukes or something where they had these track pants that were just like Judy does, very fitted up to the knees and then bag and then zipped to the side. This was like mid, mid 2000s and top no, these to be sold. Yeah. That, that was the first dance related collection I saw on a high street, which was so obvious. Like they ripped it from Judy Dars with the side zips and stuff and the influence. Yeah. But that's what it was, is where a sense is that Western culture sort of took certain things and we weren't so confident. And now it's such layer after layer. Now we can wear everything, mix and match and throw it. It's because we as representation of diversity has evolved, has pushed boundaries and become normalized to the point where we are more like, we can, we, we can wear like an overcoat and I can put up a kurta underneath and I can wear my, my, my Supremes underneath and then just have like this side bag and it still fits, ticks all those boxes that I'm brown, I'm white, yeah. I'm beige, I'm everything. So the evolution is in a sense is that back then there wasn't. And in terms of UK, just to sort of narrow it down slightly is, um, in the UK, it was very hard because to shout and scream because it wasn't a medium. The medium started when the magazines came from I'm seeing my mom sort of have those recognitions and, and have been exposure. And it's only because the magazine culture, but the print was so strong, the representation increasing. And, yeah. you know, and then slowly, slowly, goodness gracious me, Ben like Beckham is these significant things that represented the culture in a much more wider audience and sort of beautified the whole who we are and appreciation from other people sort of increasing. And that's what happened. Diverse marriages started happening and, all these little, little tiny specks of, um, you know, these this synergies started allowing things to mold and fit into things. And that's when designers here locally and to differentiate between designers and shopkeepers was very much important because a lot of them were felt like, well, wait a second, I work hard in creating a product. I'm known as a shopkeeper. No, yeah. I'm a designer. The, and audience also wasn't able to relate to it. The generation here, first, third generation was very difficult for them to understand what does that mean? So they couldn't tell. They, they just saw Bollywood. So anyone associated Bollywood, even today, anyone associated Bollywood, oh my God, designer. No, but, I don't even, yeah. But no, no one is aware of independent scene in India, which is really good. No, now so much as a beautiful independent scene where we're speaking for ourselves. We're not speaking just because one designer does it. Everyone just copy and be like, we're all designers. So it's, it's, it was a very different time and magazines helped right up the point when then social media kicked in and that opened up another channel. So every step of the evolution has a as like a meteoroid that basically explores your significance it's of like cultural a heritage. Effect in a way, like one yeah, goes to another. It is yeah. music, just like music. Like you know, yeah. a, a, a Apache Indian in the early mid nineties, early nineties. That was something. Then Cambridge Shivish, every smaller significance. Jay Shaw and they broke barriers in terms of music was so widely known. So there was a hunger of representation of music. Then it became the arts. Then it became fashion. Everything has a significance of someone pushing that door or ripping the envelope to say read about us learn about us we matter that kind of pushed that agenda forward to let people take interest in these things and make careers out of them yeah um i want to move on to talk about your vitiligo mask but i think it's it, this is a really good point where i want to kind of talk about you talk about like ground groundbreaking people where does where do you stand and where does your label stand in all of this now as of this moment, as of this generation, as of the mediums that we're in, which is like the influencers, the sort of like social media dominated situation, where 
where do you see yourself in that? Oh, I would l- like to see myself everywhere. I think because there's so many platforms. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of in that very pivotal point of transitioning into actually. I feel like I'm being more self now than I was before. Before it was like a smaller universe. Now it's like I could be anywhere I want to be and how yeah. I want to portray myself. And I think it's a community. It's a community thing. Like just in dance, we're all a community that look after each other and and boast about each other. I think in fashion, I think that's also one of those things where we need to speak for, speak for ourselves, but also be a fraternity, like a support system. So I think now I see myself being able to uh, diversify. And I say diversify in a sense is my my design sense, my DNA, my product line, uh, things I want to experiment with a bit more. There's a more audience available for it. Like I could really mission match. Uh, I'll say like do a whole Punjab relate, you know, collection. Like my recent campaign was purely inspired by honestly, like we're doing chai was cha. Well, then the one with V Kapoor, That's with V and everything, yeah. yeah. And that took me to an inspiration when I was researching like Darjeeling Express. Like I wanted oh, to yeah. just get, a, so I wanted to get a sense of sipping chai in a cold weather and what would you have. And I didn't want to make it seasonal. I just wanted to get colors and just just cuts and stuff and just a silhouette kind of thing and merge it into a mismatch of like um, Indian street style to formal and mix and match, just make it yeah. pop. So that's literally, I feel that kind of describes me where I am is as a brand is that I am now moving towards a much more layered collections or layered product line. It's not just bespoke suits. It's much more than that. It's in a, in a, way, in a way allowed me to go back to my roots, influence more dance into it, influence this. So I'm actually working on things now finally, in terms of using technology in order to explore like movement uh, and working with artists that will help illustrate a lot of movement into things or uh, outfits that speak movement. So it's a good time. And Vitiligo, you, you, you picked up on, was something that I really wanted to speak of because it's something that I have been softly speaking about. But I think the pandemic was an opportunity to just express myself. And I just had this eureka moment. I was like, wait a second. Oh, when I look at myself, I see myself as a print of colors. Because I'm, I, if someone were to ask me, what am I? I'm like, yeah, majority brown. But then my, my condition speaks of melanin, which is a mixture of everything. Yeah. So I wanted to infuse that into a mask and have a sense of security and protection, but also have a, it wasn't say like a political or, or an activism. It was more like I should speak about this and, and fuse it into something that one thing, I shouldn't be putting words into your mouth. Let, yeah. let this be the talking point. And this representation of people who have who have this and deal with this. And it goes very layered. Like growing up was difficult when I had vitiligo. And now I feel like we've spoken so much about it. And I feel like we're opening doors about it. Mental health is such an important key aspect of it. Yeah. So I think it is the right time to scream and shout about things that you should and that haven't been done. How did the collaboration come to be with, is it Mira about? The, yeah, the artist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I me and Mira. Think. So me and Mira have also, you know, she's such an amazing soul. We met through dance. Yeah. Uh, and she uh, she's she's she she loves dancing. But she she's actually an she's an architect. She's a graduate architect. Okay. Hates architect. Wants to do something illustration. She's a multifaceted. She's super talented. She's like set designer. She's an illustrator. She's she could design. She could do anything creatively. So me and her have basically been friends for like six seven years now and. Uh, and always talked about doing something or the other. So she's worked with me doing sort of artwork, illustration, and basically we've created some prints. So this, she was a, she was a go-to person. I said, Mira, I, this is what I have in mind. And when I told her, she's like, sleepless nights, let's do this. 
So we'll be just like Zoom calls and doing this and designing. I'll be sketching, layering, and she'll be putting into 3D art format. We'll be back and forth. And that's how it sort of came about. And then she knows this because she did her first illustration and I was her muse. Uh. And, uh, and she goes, would it be okay to highlight these, these, these features of your, of your eyes? I said, please go ahead. So she made that as a subject. Yeah. And that's when I went back to her and I said, you know what? You'll be the one that I want to go to because you first represented me. I want to represent you. And I think it was a it was something we wanted to do for together. So that's how it came about, and we just basically just dived in into creating something. And you know, touch wood, it spoke volumes, and I I helped start conversation that was much needed. And I was so glad for the older generation, current and the upcoming, because it all three have faced different dilemmas, yeah, different restrictions. So uh, yeah, so that that collaborative mirror really helped put it to life. I mean, you got really nice coverage from it. And um, is it two pounds or two dollars from everything goes to the society? Two pounds. Two, two pounds. pounds, yes. Two pounds. Yes. Um, I just kind of want to brush up on things because I did a little bit of research, like I said, on yourself. And I think now in terms of Vitilago and so many people in the media mainstream speaking mm -hmm. out about it, um, I mean... I will say, I don't know if any South Asian person, but you have the likes of like Winnie Harlow, who's, you know, come out and she's like, I think like the face of like yeah. everything that is Vitiligo. And there's Caden Williams, who just did a campaign for like Primark. You have uh, John Hamm, who's talked about it, Don Draper, Tamar Braxton. Michael Jackson briefly, I think, spoke about it. But you also have people speaking about like albinism. So you have like Sean mm. Ross and you know, Deandra Forrest, who I love, and you have like all these sort of conversations coming to the forefront, but I want to go back. I want to really go back because it mentioned in one of the articles that you, the first symptoms of it showed up, I think when you were 16 and it was near your sister's wedding and auntie yeah. started pointing at you. I never knew of vitiligo, I think, like until I saw it on like mainstream TV. How, yeah. from a human perspective, I just want to know, you're growing up, you're living this absolute life, you're hustling, you're selling stationery, you're doing all of this, you're, you're getting into fashion, you're getting into dance, you're, you're living your life from an from a emotional perspective. Like I know, I, I think the only stupidest thing that I can make it if there's anything that happens in our bodies when you're growing up as a boy, is like I can create it, like take it back to like when body hair grows and you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> um, but like how, like how does it, yeah, how does it feel? Like, what sort of psychological things do you go through? And like, I know you've made peace with it now. And I look at your face and I've, I think I said this to you once before. I was like, dude, your face is like absolutely beautiful. Like, oh, I really you. find like this part. <laughs> it's like, it actually is really beautiful. I look at it from a fashion perspective because I grew up in fashion and I find obscurity and these these flaws to be like so beautiful because that's what I've been trained to. But how does it psychologically impact you and how does it feel when this happens? Um, Do you just go hide in the toilet and then you were just like... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's all the above. It's, it's, no, no, it's all the above. It's, it's you're scared because it, my first, it was like a little dot um, right here. That's what it yeah. I think. I think this is the one. This is the one that's gone back to normal now. This yeah. is the first, first patch that came. It was a week before my sister's wedding. And uh, everyone noticed it there because no one could tell I had something. I thought it was could be a pimple or it could be a scar from a pimple, you know, yeah. anything. It's only when I was there. And then, you know, in Punjabi, it was called Faleri. And they were saying these words and stuff. And they were like, you know, the and it kind of, the conversation just kind of went on. No one actually came directly to me. Oh, your life is over. It's just conversation you hear. 
And you know when you're like 15, 16, yeah. you, you're, going, you're going through, you know, we've all been there, 15, 16, one of these perfect image, like my style yeah. has to be perfect, my hair has to be perfect. Like, you know, I want, I want, to, I want to be the, 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 you know, the coolest dude in the, in the room. Suddenly you're like, this is, this is it. You, you, can't, you can't be a public person anymore. Um, it really affected my confidence and it affected my self-esteem because I was coming, when I came back and then when it was seriously looked into in terms of what it is, what is it termed as here? We went to, we, I made an appointment with the doctor in the hospital with NHS with, with you know, there was no re- there was no research. There was just a printout. I remember yeah. saying, "This is what vitiligo is." Um, all 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 the doctor said is, "Listen, it's just you know unfortunate that your dark skin it shows, but here you can't tell. You know, um, we can give you some cream to see if it works, but then after that it says try makeup." So the doctor said that. The doctor said that, and wow. another petition said that that there's a there's a there's a makeup brand called some I can't remember now, but there's a makeup brand in Selfridges. That was the only place you could get. And my mum went and got that, and I said, "Just try." I'm like, "Mum, I don't feel comfortable. Like yeah. I'm drinking. I'm hiding myself. I don't know. It's like." And the thing was, it was only this much, but it, it, because of stress, it it started uh, expanding, started spreading. Yeah. And I had to just wear makeup, and I was just conscious because I'm like. I'm constantly being looked at because even someone's talking to you with eye contact, you're thinking they're looking at this. They're thinking yeah. this in your head. It's like a speech bubble. Oh my God, what's this? Oh my God, what's that? Yeah. Those are the things kept happening at school. And I, I came home, I said, mom, I don't want to go to school. I can't handle this. I don't know what's happening. I think I'm going to die. I think this is going to spread everywhere. And the thing was, because being an MJ fan, I knew what he had. Yeah. And what he had was what we call as extreme vitiligo. When it goes completely out of control, that you have no choice but to make your skin push it towards getting it all white. Yeah. So you had to go through, may have bleached or whatever, but he must have come to a point where it must have become such a mishmash that well, you feel... was burnt as well because he did what was it the Pepsi campaign where like... Yeah, yeah, heat. So it's like, it's sensitive to heat. And so things like this um, really affected me, my self-esteem, my confidence. I didn't know what to do. I felt like, you know, you go through this early mode of depression. Yeah. And you just think of the worst of everything. And they start coming in my hands and elbows and chest. I was like, this is it. This is the end. My, my, it's only when my grandfather stepped in and said, let me find. And on, it's one of those things. In India, they, had, well, they, they say they have the cure. And my, my grandfather went to Rajasthan, all the way to Rajasthan to find a root of a plant, which yeah. is in the form of a sand that I had to have a little bit of honey. I couldn't even swallow it down. That was the only alternative at that time that was there. And homeopathy was there. But I don't think it had progressed so much in mid 90s to the point where you know it's widely available it was just if only one of the many doctors had done any form of research yeah. um but over the years i i went through a lot in the sense of got uh, uh, steroids i went to mumbai got steroids injected to me they peeled my skin on my leg shaved it <sighs> off to see if it'll grow so it was like i came to a point where i said to myself i'm not i'm not a dummy i'm not an experiment yeah and i had to stop and I said, if this is going to cure, if there is, it's going to happen itself. If it isn't, it's not going to happen. I have to live with it. and I have to accept it at some point. But I wasn't ready. I used to what say age, it. What age are you right now? What age am I right now? 
Not right now, right. at this moment, at oh, okay. this moment that you're saying the oh, speech to yourself mentally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is, this is university. This is university. Yeah. This is, this is 17, 18, university, first, second year and stuff. And, you know, because it, 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 you go through a lot of things. You've gone through puberty, you've gone through, you know, you're in yeah. adolescence and stuff. And then you're going through this whole dating stage and having a girlfriend. You know, like, yeah. I don't want to have, I'm not going to have a girlfriend. No one wants to be interested in me. I'm never going to get married because you just hear stuff. And, it, and what I realized is that I'm going for, to find a cure in India... But at the same time, the curse is in India. So where there's a solution, the problem yeah, is forced up. It's like, it's like a burger, you know, in the middle, you kind of in here in the meat, just hanging around and then yeah. just, just pointing out that we help you, but we don't want to help you. So there's a stigma joined to it and stuff. And loads of these things were happening. And it says, son, it's going to be difficult for you to find a partner. It's just very, very sort of like social pressure of a lot of things that affected me. And I sort of started becoming a person that didn't want it to be in front of the camera anymore. I didn't want to be faced with a position where I would be taking pictures of me or anything like that because I felt very much cut off from the point of that I don't feel much more human anymore, that the human side of me was stripping away. Yeah. And my, I felt very soulless at that time. So my university time was very much a little bit of a post-uni. Actually, it started spreading after university when I started working because I realized stress... XYZ is a factor, sun is a factor, can't eat this is a factor, fish and milk is like a stigma or whatever yeah. it is. But it wasn't until I was 24 when I had met a, a doctor who was based in actually in Punjab, is an urologist, uh, study of the eyes. So, a urologist. Urologist, okay. So, yeah. so he, so I went to him because I had gone for a cousin's wedding and he wasn't so far from there. So we took this three-hour trip to go and see him, and he was really recommended. And I said, no point. We're here. Let me fulfill everyone's, you know, list of things to do. Better, I'll be kush, maybe kush. Let's go. He has studied my eye and all the veins here to say what problems I have. And he said, I found because he used to make medicine from the plant. So yeah. this is like you know your lotions and everything that we have today. Yeah. He makes the, anti, the actual formula, which is in raw format, then becomes synthesized into creams. He said it's all related to your gut. And what's happened is through, the, through time, GMO, fast food culture, we are not eating real food anymore. And, he's, and I realized after that, doing much more research, that 2% of the population has vitiligo. Uh -huh. And that is, that is because of what we've been fed. Uh, our bodies are not evolving faster than the food is evolving. So we're having a lot of things in our system that are not showing up and taking away a palate of ours or doing this. That really woke me up. That really was like, wow. I was like that. So he gave me a medicine that would just hit the gut to, he goes, any disease you get, be it heart problem or be it cancer, it starts from the gut. It doesn't start from the heart. It starts all, that's your center. The, yeah, that's your mother, motherhood, right? The, that was it. That was it. That's, that was the start. And I started researching, reading books. And I was you know, going to New York, guys, to meet someone. So, you know, sat me down and say, are you okay? And everything. This is the thing that happened. Like older generation didn't know how to start the conversations. Like, are you okay? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm fine. Like, what, why, what's wrong? And so you got vitiligo. So why would something be wrong? Why would it start? Why would it start from the, the, the step left? Why can't it start from step right? Yeah. And I, I had to change the conversation for myself. I had to be the one be like, if I was to be in this position where I saw a younger version of me and I said, what would I say to him? So that's how it had to change from grassroots. So I remember meeting this, I was in Waitrose and I, I, I saw this um, uh, young lady at the till. 
yeah. and and she saw me i saw her but i didn't she had it all in her hands but i didn't see that she would constantly yeah. look at me and i at that time i thought okay i know what she's looking at maybe because she finds it fascinating or is it because she might have it she goes to me sorry can i ask you something i said i have this and i don't know what to do and the first yeah. thing i said to and the first thing i said to her you are beautiful this is a beautiful thing you have trust me on this this is a beautiful thing to have i said this is art on your body now i said if you want to do something about it there's options available but if you don't do something about it don't let it stop you i had to kind of say it get go just say it yeah. she goes oh my god no one's spoken to me like that like everyone just speaks to me like attack so i yeah. had to strip it back and i said first accept what you have then decide if you want to undo it if you feel like because the procedure is very slow it's a very lengthy it's a lifestyle change you have to change everything like citric acid has to be taken away from your diet meat red meat has to be taken from your diet go yeah. vegan if you want it's a very extreme version of it if you do but it helped me talk and relate and speak so every time i meet someone i'll just give them every option on a piece of paper any time yeah. i'm like try it this is for me this actually worked uv light is an option but for everybody is different so a lot of my friends that i've grown up with some of them had they've been i would say almost cured so yeah this was it is it's 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 very i would say as it doesn't feel i don't feel like it like physically yeah. like it doesn't feel but mentally it, it it pinches you and mentally it attacks a part of your brain that says you are not the image of perfection or you're not the image of normality or norm what we call is normal so that's what you you pigeonhole you pigeonhole your stereotype pigeonhole you put in a label but fast forward man i feel like now it's like yeah like we are counter you know we are activating conversations we're activating solutions we're activating help yeah reach out so yeah this is what it is <laughs> that's 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 a heavy one i think like yeah i think like i'll i'll still continuously say this i think the first time i saw you in company 68 was like i was like this man is like really beautiful and oh, i man. i still i still still look at you and i still think that you're a very handsome beautiful person but yeah i think i think the perception of it in the conversation which you touched by is absolutely beautiful to talk thank about thank you do you want to work more with the vitilogo society to create something more like how do you feel like now that you've kind of had the mental space to reflect on all of this where do you stand now where do you see are you going to do more advocate work are you going to what is there going to be a like what what are the next steps of this now for you um I, well this was my first step just a mask itself but it really opened my eyes as to there's more a lot more to be done yeah um we are we are we are talking about vitiligo we are doing this but i feel like it's a community of itself and i feel we need to be represented and i and i feel like we shouldn't be on the sideline we should be part of everything it is forefront and i think where we need to uh where i feel like i need to be more proactive is, is that look at ways and means of where if if i started with just a mask as a product what else it could be that could be a representation of us yeah. what it could be as a community that could represent us and i i've not sort of triggered it to just okay it has to be something physical it could be something mental it could be anything but it needs to be something that stays and has a has a avenue to grow and it, and it, and it gives purpose to anyone be a child be in be someone in the eight you know then the 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 last steps of their life but it's just something that gives them 
uh, sense of belonging. I will definitely evolve it into a product line. I'm, I'm looking into clothing as such that represents this beautiful, yeah. beautiful, I call it beautiful palette of me that I am because I, you know, what I feel this is, is that I feel the Vitalag community is the antidote or vaccine for racism because mm. what is beneath you? What is oh, beneath okay. Can you just this? say that one more time? Can you just say that Vitiligo <laughs> is the antidote <laughs> to racism? Honestly, Vitiligo yeah. is the antidote and the vaccine for racism because when you take all of this out, yeah, what is beneath all of this? Yeah, color. What is color? That's why now when I talk of color, I just say I am. We we are never transition. We are transitional beings. We're not. Yeah. We're geographically pushed and pulled and everything and everything. You could cook a steak five, six different ways. You don't look at steak if I, yeah. you know, one way. Food is looked at many different ways. People, unfortunately, because we have the ability to think and reflect and we're so multi-dynamic in our ways, we get lost in having not just an opinion, but activating what we actually believe in. And what happens is that gets lost and dispersed. So in that sense this is what Vitilago can actually help and do is eradicate prejudice, eradicate ignorance and eradicate a previous code of conduct of what racism or be it uh, institutional or be it cultural or be it religious, it can eradicate everything because at the end of the day, this is how human I am. I am made of different color. I have pink, I have white, I have brown. What is it that you, you can't see? You can't, hear me you can't understand that i could speak i could talk so i think <laughs> that's the long term and it doesn't have to be me it could be anyone wow. if i can play a small one percent role in this my job is done because i feel like this is a movement for a lot of things so that's that's where we need to work on we need to work on those ingredients of the vaccine i think what would help is like opening a conversation in means mainstream platform and you know I think what I would love is, and I would love to challenge you on this, is like, because I think you have a great amount of connections, is, you know how BBC Three do those, like, documentaries that are, like, half an hour to an hour, like, Netflix does stuff, all their streaming things. I would love for you and the community to do some sort of, like, piece on this, or, like, a TEDx talks and things like that. And I think your passion really resonates. And I think one thing that I'm going to take away from this is really you saying, Vitiligo is the antidote and the vaccine for racism. I think that's going to stay with me. That's that's beautifully said. That's oh, that's that's a gold mine. Thank you. I, I, it's um, you can hear it. The passion is in me. The fire is in me. And I will take this opportunity, if anything, to get you on board to make this happen because <laughs> I may just think of stuff, but I need talent like your beautiful self who is so multi-talented oh, and you you you're someone who i call it a sprinkler you touch anything and just becomes like stop canvas cha- oh, changes stop something it. so no, seriously, I like i said I I'll, be, I'll be happy to i'll be happy to investigate and get people talking and see how this could be done because it's much needed i would hey any i have talked to you about this or i want to be part of the southern Koli label <laughs> I want to be in a campaign or walk down the road or something. But other than that, I just want to... No, but seriously. Um, yeah, anything. But I think that that's really beautiful and you're passionate. It really got, 
got to me. Um, I think speaking of representation, speaking of diversity, I want to kind of like touch up on this, which is like in fashion, you know, we talked about designers already. We've talked about representation in media and synergies and different platforms and evolution. And I want to discuss it in regards to cultural appropriation and regards to representation in fashion. I think in fashion, we have finally now a couple of faces, like I'd say the likes of like Neelam Gill, Bhumika Arora, um, who else have I got here? Sorry, I made a whole list. Like um, Jinu Manthilan, Shanaina Shak, who did like uh, yeah. the Victoria's Secret, and she's like the face of so many brands. Pratik Jain and Sarun Nija, all of these who are now faces that are becoming like Faces of Olay, faces of Burberry. Well, if, if, if Nikita Chanda is still here, she's, yeah. she's one of those oh, pioneers. Yeah, she is one of those pioneers and yourself. Um, I want to discuss two different points, cultural appropriation and representation. In regards to cultural appropriation, when I was, I was, I watched this a while ago and one of your models has actually spoken about it, Raj. When Gucci did this, um, I'm sure you know where I'm getting at. When Gucci's collection was, I think it was around 2011, and mm. it might be 2009, it might be two, let me look, I wrote that, that 2019, was much, uh, 2019, yes, 19, and it yes. featured white models wearing turbans, mm. and then those turbans were sold on Nordstrom, and I also want to give some more personal experiences of cultural appropriation, which we still perpetuate, and I have now said for the last two years, no to we work in Bollywood, we work in the South Asian film industry. And I think like I will say that I have perpetuated certain cultural appropriation when like I will be teaching a dance to like a hen party and things like that. And my manager will say to me that, okay, take these bindis and give them to the client because they've represented it, they've requested it. And I'll be like, in the last year, something felt like really, I don't know, guffily wrenching to me because I was like, uh, you know, seeing bindis in like Coachella Festival and people wearing it, I was like, it's a religious sentiment at the end of the day. It, yes, it's fashion, but I was like, where's the boundary of cultural appropriation? And where do I play a part in it? Because am I appropriating my own culture by, I don't know, stereotyping certain things and feeding it for other people to take? Certain things like, you know, when we discuss or make jokes being stereotyped as like, just if we're Asian dancers, we're Bollywood dancers, we can't be anything more, we have to do Bollywood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or when we put on the voice and we talk like this and we do the light bulbs and things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on culture appropriation? I, I find this space very gray. Um, yeah. it's not black it's not black and white as yet because with in terms of pointing out to the Gucci uh, runway show and that campaign I think they it, if they wanted to get it right they should have gone to the roots and had proper representation of an actual Sikh model doing it yeah I understand how they would somehow in the creative direction be like well it'd be nice for us to represent as well to pay homage or represent this but i think when you don't know a culture properly or you don't investigate you don't study and have a sense of respect of why that is done and it's all about perspective we see another we see one culture's perspective from our eyes they see ours from a different lens this is where it becomes a bit of a gray and bit of a fade, faded area. We don't know what it, where, where do we stand. And I think this all comes down to not being conscious in your decision-making. And this yeah. is where it shows when you step into cultural influences, you are 
you 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 don't have the ability to change the course of that culture you are not responsible for magnifying it unless you embrace some elements of it to make sure for example chanel did the same thing yeah. chanel did a whole collection now let's see the difference between the two just to point at the balance of that chanel and then what gucci did chanel dug so deep into the cultural significance but also the respect and the the magnitude of the craftsmanship and amplified it to the point where they did it because they were going to enter india for the first time this is when india was opening up armani had done a collection chanel had done a collection uh, jean paul gaultier had done a done a sari drape and yeah. and stuff but that's because it's like this you say if if i was to invite guests into my house who are not of my culture i'm going to bring the best out of it i'm going to pull all the stops going to bring the food the atmosphere the smell the works just the whole sense of who we are but if they walk away not learning anything that's when it gets trouble because yeah. i think that's what gucci did gucci walked into a room and they, that's where i felt there was a there's a sense of um not acknowledging and not respecting it because what they took was they didn't took the sense of feel of it they took oh that's an accessory so let's let's profit from it that is that is not how it's how it's done and that has a religious significance to it it's not it's not something that you could and i feel if anything this is the time when i feel being a sikh sikhs are naturally magnify sense of style that is what they should have said is that this is a natural progression for a community to come on board to that front there could have been a baris aliwalia doing that but they didn't choose that decision yeah cultural appropriation for me is it 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 it's a fine line like for example i also for example um you know enforce in a sense is that i need to make my product in the gray scale of it needs to appeal to asian non asian so i need to fit in i need to do this i need to do that see this is where it goes wrong i need to do this yeah whereas we feel like i want i want them to understand i want them to learn i want them to get a feel of it and i want to get it right and i want to merge and marry two things together this is where we get lost by the time we reach this this is what happens chanel did it in a certain format is that they actually magnified the beauty of a country and really represented it to the to the to 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 a very much you know it wasn't about being a maharaja and stuff but it was about the delicacy it was about everything it was such a, of everything was it when they and, did like and, the and, and, table and, runway as well dinner table thing and maharaja yeah, yeah. style i mean there was a theme there was a theme to it yeah. but to a certain extent they pushed the boundaries towards it and they really welcomed that and there was really it made it made us did not realize how much of how beautiful we are already and they made us elevate in the sense yeah. that you did this. we 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 forget also another sense is that we also are the problem in this is when it comes to cultural appropriation is that we want others to magnify our culture yeah we want the beyonce to wear a sari Oh, we're so nice. Is you know Theresa May worry. We want Beyonce to, but when they do it, we start slating it. And I said, wait, yeah. you wanted this to happen. You wanted the, you wanted a sense of community that they wanted it to happen. You wanted them to wear it. And this is where it becomes a bit inappropriate. Is because when you're doing it from a style view, for example, Beyonce's video on Coldplay, a feature yeah. in that, there was this whole thing about her not doing it. It was never the intention of her looking more Indian. It was her more looking at Indian inspired. Just because Sonam Kapoor was there, and she handled it naturally by running from one end to another. Yeah. Then Beyonce just did it in her being Beyonce version. But then rewind ten years back, you'll be yearning for Beyonce to do it. You'll be yearning to say, we want representation. We want other people to do it. 
And why not we should have it? But where the grayscale matter comes is that it feels like there's a code of conduct. There's a rule book that can't be broken. But then we ourselves are evaporating all sense of style because we need to be westernized. At the same time, we want to be... So where is our culture appropriation? Do we walk wearing cultural yeah. clothes every single day and wave that flag and say, well, yeah. I need to dress like this because it's so appropriate because if we don't do it, someone else is going to take it. So but I think the opposing so battle is that if we were walking around in our Salvar communities and like going to jobs, would we still get the jobs? Would we still fit in? Because that conversation happens when I think especially I think the one thing that happens in my head is like when black women talk about hair and they talk about not wearing fros or things like that so I think like that's where my my thing goes in regards to representation I think like maybe we just don't have enough equal representation for us because mm. think about it like yes we had Jay Sean yes we had Ragev yes we have you know so many phenomenal people in music right now, like we have Zayn Malik and, you know, there's been A.R. Rahman and, you know, there's, there's multitudes of people than you and I can name, but I feel like on a commercial mainstream platform, we can talk about Aziz Ansari, Mindy Kaling, Mira Sayal from Goodness Gracious Me. I still don't think, till this day, I will walk into a casting room and sometimes I will be the only ethnic person there. Mm. Or I will be the only, I know only a handful of like, Asian male dancers or like Asian people thing like such as in our circle which is Nikita and Ramzan or mm. Akash or Eddie yourself and Mai who like who are still kind of like being pushed into this state mm. Do you I'll, think... I'll give you I'll give you yeah go ahead no, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, no, no. I want to know the question. No, no, no. It was just going to be like, do you think when there's enough representation, will that take away the conversation of cultural appropriation or not really? Well, think about this one. Like Priyanka Chopra has sort of become a household name to represent what 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 it, what does it take to be someone who's been brought born and brought up in India has a bit of a sense of being in the American culture, and she has, uh, you know, uh, and she just recently become the ambassador for for British, uh, uh, you know, um, UN for British Fashion Council. So you yeah, know, so 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 that is something major. And that normalizes a lot of things in senses that it's such an open-ended conversation now. It's not a closed door anymore. But she has broken barriers in the sense that she, she, she's allowed the representation of herself to be seen as, uh, as a multifaceted in the sense of like layers of it. She can be as Western as she wants. She can be as Eastern as she wants. She can be everything she wants because she's not scared of representing herself. I think it comes down to us to do make that conscious decision. A lot of people, what happens is we tend to dilute ourselves is that to fit in in this, for example, for hypothetically speaking, if I was to be in central London, I need to be the fat Savile Row, I need to do this. I have to, my, my checklist is I need to look as, 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 you know, as Oliver Twist as possible. I need to be the herringbone of everything. I need to have speak in a sort of dialect of a British upper lip thing, you know, accent. Yeah. And I need, to, I need to be, you know, it because it's because it's been perceived for so long for that time. We tend to forget that, we tend to forget that that is perfection. So we don't need to tangent, we don't need to change it. We need to just make it look like that. No one can actually come and change it anymore than there needs to be. Um, so um, we do, as, as yourself, like when it comes to casting and stuff, it does sound like, for example, when I was casted for the Levi's ad. Um, yeah, yeah. So when, 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 you know, um, when Jenny actually reached out to me and she says, so listen, I, I want to get this right. That, this is how it was. She goes, 
Saren, I've seen your pictures with a turban and your mustache and everything. But thing is, I want to get this right. So I want to work with you. I'm not casting you just because you're going to represent this, but I don't want to get this wrong. So I want to make sure I get this right. And I remember you were you there when we sat down and watched a whole documentary oh, yeah. of evolution of Bangra music. And next thing you know is we're just literally doing a segment, a small segment. But I felt that process, what changes the element is like to understand what we're actually representing and make sure it's in our bloodstream. And when it isn't done in that appropriation, then we're doing it in the most in inappropriate way where we're just either stealing it or we're grabbing it or we're just highlighting it. So for me, I'm still educating myself with cultural appropriation is because we were longing for representation. When it gets to a peak of representation, we feel we need to somehow remodel and package it to represent it itself. It's a very, that's why I find it very gray. In it's a very gray line, yeah. It's such a gray, gray line of senses that we don't know if the left is right or the right is left. So I feel it's, it comes down each to their own to get it right, to make sure that if you're going to do it, you know how to do it right. You know how to play that card. So don't dilute yourself or compromise yourself. I can't compromise my culture. I'm grown up into it. So my values are very different. If I was to, for example, if I saw an old Uncle G in the street and I had my, and I had my white friend, I probably will touch his feet. Yeah. But that's naturally inclined into me. So, so why would I dilute and not be like, you know, oh, hello. No, like, so she called, you know, but that's because it's embedded in me, but I can't dilute that stuff. But yeah. that's, a sign of res that's a sign of respect. So let's follow it through because that person might learn something. So, yeah, it becomes, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you watched American, uh, American Desi, this indie independent movie that came out in the 90s. It was no. one of those first, first, cultural second second generation third generation movies that went wild you should definitely watch it. it's called american desi it came out and it was an amazing amazing display of i don't know you'll find a lot of things of cultural appropriation in that because the generation that was there was fighting rebelling to become so westernized they're willing to sell off their cultural differences Bloody and be yeah. like let's make a movie on this so it's you don't know i i still feel we're yet to come to the stage of evaluating this and having a proper term followed by the inappropriateness, which we still yet to learn. I think we also, I think one of the things that you said before is like, we need to support each other. And one of the other things that you said, I think it was in your urban Asian interview, which was like support each other. Um, I think just like going back to that Levi's ad, sometimes I look back at that and I feel so, I don't know, I feel disrespectful towards Bhangra now and like being Punjabi because I was like, there's two sides of Punjab. I'm from the Pakistan of Punjab. You're from the India side of Punjab. Then I was like, do you remember at one point they wanted to put a bug on me and you did that bug on me? And I was like, oh, yeah. Lord, please don't put the bug on me. Please don't, please don't. And I've done it for like shows and things like that. But then I'm just like, there's a battle of like race and stereotyping and cultural appropriation within our own culture as well that we have to deal with. And we have to discuss that as well because there's a hierarchy system as well that we still, and politics that we need to discuss ourselves. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I remember I was I was the one who was asked to tie the turbans. And I, I came was, to a point. I, yeah, God, uh, I was like, so thank God that I didn't get to wear it. And but, I went, I went to the side and I was like, please, can I not wear it? I went to the costumes yeah. department. I was like, can I please not wear it? I was like, you should get Saran to wear it. Um, I remember Raj, that was his first time I met Raj Vatan on that street. Oh, yeah. And I think that was he one was of his few jobs. It, I feel like it, it was... he should have been in the group. Why wasn't he? He has knowledge and history of Bhangra. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, 
it's perception like i said it's their perception and i'm glad what you did because you stood up for something you stood up for it and i think that's what happens is when we don't stand up and we don't get it right we don't know and i i remember like jenny did come up to me and she goes do you think that we should all of the mirror and i turned around and said to her i don't think everyone should i think i i i feel i feel you have enough in your frame yeah. there's nothing more that you need and we we stopped at that time i stopped and i said more than two people you don't need i don't see it the need for it because that's not how it was it wasn't like just because it's bangra everyone in us yeah so it was it was a mixture of people and i know because seeing the bangra music in the mid 90s to early 2000 they were trying to depict that time of raves and daytimers and and all of that which yeah. i've been to so i've seen it it's a mixture of people it, so it can't be just one yeah. so it needs to be as natural as possible in that position and scene and but then how we see in our eyes doesn't seem to fit into everyone's eyes and no, but you right, but then had it been 10 15 years ago you would have been a different person you'd be like okay let's do it okay <laughs> but then now it's more like i think there's a, there's a there's a there's a line that needs to be drawn yeah and and I, you drew that line i drew a line and i think that was enough after that we didn't need to do anything no, so no. that's different that is the start of, that is start of very small steps that it takes but it's a much bigger and much more because we we live in a world where everything is a clash and a merge of everything everything is a mix and match of everything we sometimes forget where it came from where it ended up and where it's going and we we all can't be historians of or gatekeepers of everything because no, great. Uh, we're not all of us 100% culturally zipped up as well so yeah so no, we right. can't all be fun yeah um I'm going to move on to a lighter note quickly. I have two more points to do before we get into a nice little game. I feel like we've we've gone very very deep and thank you so much for going though. Can you quickly discuss the process of you creating a collection from like A to Z? So I want to know like how like I know you've discussed like what inspires you music, dance, everyday life and things like that, but how how does like how does it strike you then how do you start making like do you st- start sketching then create a pattern and then or like go to india and then get some fabrics like i want to know the project runway what version where they're like now you have an assignment and this is that like and then who also pays for it how do you get the funding like i i'm thoroughly intrigued by that obviously if you don't want to talk about the business side of it you can just be like look that's intel um uh, open yeah but like how does one get commissioned how does do you go to still different outlets where after you've created a collection you know you'll be like okay I'll sell my collection in this store and then this store can come and do a viewing then do you do price points like yeah I want to know from A to Z go uh so the, the the whole the whole creative process is pretty much very open it's not it doesn't it doesn't always start from say sketch it sometimes starts with uh the mood I'm in or it's something that I want to I want to I, I haven't feel like I haven't discovered or I haven't tapped into sometimes it starts with the fabric I love going to fabric stores I love going to you know I've been Brewerick Street I've been Poland Street or I've been a warehouse in Bolton so I'll go to India and I'll go to the markets and sometimes I would be like I want to travel where this is from like for Shikankari I've been to Lucknow right to the source of it how Shikankari is done learn the technique and sense of understood how the thread work works um it could be anything it could be anything it could be like a mood it could be say sometimes I'm like oh this is a trend so I'm going to like see for what i can what's my take on it yeah or this is like but it's, it starts with um it starts with one of those things that is the the i would call the 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 matchstick into the fire you know like let's start so 
when it starts, I tend to expand in researching online, offline, creating a sense of a mood board. Then I will create sketches to see my interpretation of that. From sketches, I will go back to fabrics and see which one would work, segregate them, separate them into groups and be like, this would be this for this for this. Then after that, I would go into uh, doing patterns in a sense is that how would this be cut working with my master cutter and be like this is how we need to draft it could we inch it up there minus plus so what i usually do is i will either do a mask in a muslin yeah. if i'm really getting anal about it i'm like no before i to do the real thing this is to be the iron man prototype you yeah, know it yeah. needs to be that version first so it's like version one but sometimes i'll be like no i can see it boom let's just do this whole thing and let's yeah. do, do the whole lot so and it's it's really it's 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 just how I'm gra- gravitating towards it's what is pulling me towards it. So it's it's never a, a creative process or anything. You would know, like even choreographing it. Sometimes it's the music, sometimes it's the subject, sometimes it's just movement. Then you put the music. Yeah. You don't you don't know. For me, majority of the time it's music. I listen to it and I'm thinking of a subject. The suddenly the sound for that subject would match, and I'd be like choreograph. So it could be that. But that's where it starts. Then in terms, it comes down to how many pieces in a collection that need to be, how many of those looks that need to be, and what else can I mix and match in that? So that comes to the next stage. Then the price point you mentioned is with me from before it wasn't because I was like all out, but then you realize, damn, budget, flop again. Thankfully, you have a team who kind of like manages the perspectives of accounts, let's say. No, no, it's me. It's me. Uh, it's all you. me. I, I, I go through like doing the costing of the meterage, how much meters of fabric at the price price that I've got to be used to finish the garment, then all the uh, all the trimmings, everything else, then, then really getting into construction, how much time is spent into it. Then you obviously get into your markups and obviously you're doing it your retail um so it's it's a process because you need to understand that you need to have to then get a return for it i yeah. would love to do fashion forward pieces where basically it's all about looks and stuff but sometimes i'm a bit too practical in the sense of that this is i'm doing it because i have a clientele or i like to attract a certain clientele so i tend to do my strategy in a sense is that i'm not doing it for competitive reasons or i need to be cheaper than this or more expensive it's more like my it needs to be a reflection of the quality i stand for so yeah. i need to be within a benchmark it's like a benchmark. I want to reach, this is my benchmark. Work within this benchmark. What's the best you can get? And sometimes you compromise on the design. Sometimes you compromise, like you choose fabric B instead of A. But when it comes down to, I know my, my threshold is, say, 10 pieces. Out of 10 pieces, I want to sell about eight or get orders for Ensemble because I'm going to get that return so I can reinvest that money to start a new collection. So... It's like back and forth of making sure that once you make it into a business model, you need to think of the other side of the brain thinking the maths versus the, the, the brushes. So it needs to work. There needs to be a sort of harmony between the two. So that's I mean, what that's I tend to always battle with. Because you did sales for Hugo, isn't it? Oh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, my first, my sales job, my first one was with gas uh, in uh, Sloan Street, my first retail. And I, I, there was a summer job during university. I was doing that. But then... My first sell, my first interview that I really loved, the interview that I really loved was Banana Republic. I, oh. I, so when so when Banana Republic first opened up, I was the first set. We were the first set of employees, sales managers, the first batch of people to open up Banana Republic on Regent Street. That was yeah. that was that was that was I was part of. 
And I remember the interview process and I knew Banana Republic as a brand because I had clothes going to New York and back in because my sister was there for 15 years yeah. you know, when she got married. So I had that exposure of what the brands are like Armani Exchange and, you know, all these brands that were like only New York and that side of the town. So Banana Republic, I had loads of clothes from there. So when I went, I wore Banana Republic consciously. I'm like going to sell myself. So I'm going to wear the clothes. I'm going to go there. It's like, I'm cost effective. I already have the uniform. You sell, I sell. So I remember there was like 50 people in a room in yeah. this, like, you know, in this recruitment agency and I'm there and, 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 and I'm thinking, will I get this job or not? Because it was like a part-time university job that I was wanting to get. So, and uh, from fifth, what they did was they did these sales techniques and were like trying to sell me water or something. I don't know. All of these, da, 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 da. Then introduce yourself. And, and then you to describe, they came to the point where they said, describe what you're wearing or what brands you're wearing. They just wanted to know what, what as a salesperson, uh, what do you buy into? So when I got up, I said, um, my jacket, I can't remember. I said, my shirt and my, no, my tie and my trousers, my pinstripe trousers are from public. That must have felt like, okay, this man's come prepared. This man knows <laughs> what BR is all about. Yeah. And what happened was, <laughs> what happened was, is like, out of 50, what they did was they did the reverse psychology. They took away, uh, split the room. They brought two groups, put them in this side. They put 15 people this side. But they wouldn't tell what the situation is. Yeah, it's like X Factor. And then they'll say, you guys, please go. But they made it look like, you guys, please go in that room. Uh, These guys did it. Some say, thank you for coming today. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I looked at the back and I'm like, whoa, I made it the next room. There was two more rounds of interviews. Yeah. And yeah, I was a salesman. But then I became the, the head stylist there within three, within two, two. In my second, my, end of the second month, I became head stylist there for, for, oh, for yeah. a short period of time. Wait, so that, that must translate into what your current state is in regards to your label. But I, I actually want to, it just hit me quickly. We're going to like, let's bash this out in the next 10 minutes. My next question, which is like, how do you go about like producing a show? Do you now go to like, uh, like, you know, obviously there's the, the Asian wedding exhibition. There's like so many, I think now it's evolved. Um, into mm. so many, like, do you go to them? Do you showcase your capsule collections in them? Do you just do it now through the power of like Instagram? But like, how do you decide budgeting on like models, what models to get and like, you know, how to produce a show? Like, yeah, talk to me a little bit in regards to that quickly. Two minutes. So, so, so now quickly that you mentioned budgeting and funding and everything. So when I was starting off, like I said, the only thing I had, which was a plus point, is that I had a bit of a platform to start at least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, doing in terms of I put my, uh, I, I had put my, I had taken credit from my, my first supplier to produce a collection, thinking that I would eventually pay him. But then when I realized that I actually sold, all that money went to paying off everything that I had cre to credit for. So if I'd taken 30 days credits, 50 days credit, I said, but they believed in me because I worked with them for three yeah. months stay. And I used to make chai for the chaiwala. And I used to work right from there. So I earned their trust. It wasn't happened without their trust. Yeah. So I earned their trust and from ground zero. And then when I sold, I got my return. I paid everyone off. So this is relationship building. When it, and then the profit came into me and I didn't pay myself till much later. And I wasn't producing a show. I haven't done, uh, for my brand when I launched, I decided consciously, but this is not my platform. I need to be positioning myself completely different. So I didn't do any of the Asian exhibitions. Got it. I, till today, haven't done an Asian exhibition because I just feel that's not me. I'm not, I'm not uh, a wedding designer. I produce collections which are for special occasions. I'm much more than that. Yeah. And I want to I wanna be just seen as that. So I have to work harder at that. Instagram, social media allowed me to showcase much sides of me. So I, so I use that for my advantage to a certain extent. 
And also I had the, the opportunity to work with artists that spoke on my behalf. I able to collaborate with celebrities that spoke for my behalf that allowed me to position my brand of yeah. where I'm trying to be. Um, in terms of uh, producing catwalk shows and stuff. So when I did my first catwalk show, um, Models Yes was a very sort of definite thing where I worked really close with the, with, with the show producer. Having choreographic experience, it made it very easy to choose people yeah. or to choose the candidates. Like, this is who I want. This is who I want. So I knew because I, I had that experience of being having a dance company and able to say, we have this budget, make it work. I was like, okay, so I can only give you four dancers. So I said, okay, I only have 1,000 pounds. Get eight models in that. So I knew I had to get the eight models because I was like, work within the budget, work within did the budget. Did you not Sometimes call your friends or like did friends not reach out to you because you know? Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, at the beginning, yes. I had all my friends, whoever I knew that I built relations with were my, my support system. They yeah. were my support systems. Like, you know, relations are built with models, relationships are built, built because it's trust is earned. We've helped each other. Like I said, it's a community thing. We helped each other build those relationships and push each other forward in a sense of that they believed in me as a brand, as a person. Yeah. I believed in them as a potential of what I see in them. Some of the models, I've actually activated their careers purely because they allowed me to represent them and make, make push something about them. Vice versa, it worked for me. They elevated me. So, yeah. um, you know, and I'm really humble about it because like say Raj, and I did a shoot with Raj at the Savoy. And I did yeah. a direct collaboration with the Savoy Hotel that gave me the sickest, hottest room called the yeah. King Suite, which is like 15 grand a night. <laughs> 15 grand a night. I don't even, like, I, I'm like, I can't even afford, a, I can't even afford the banyan that we hanging in there, okay. mate. Like, that, 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 you know, so what, what? But they, they, they believed in me and said, we're going to give you this one shot yeah. of producing a, cat, uh, producing a lookbook in this and a video. And I was like, okay, I need to nail this. So I couldn't compromise. And I had Raj, and Raj was like, when he came up, he's like, you know, him being, you know, he's amazing. God bless his soul. He's such an amazing guy. Paji, I don't want to let you down. I was like, yeah. listen, you will not let me down because I want to let you let me down. Listen to <laughs> me what I'm going to say. Hear me out. I was being a little bit of a like, you know, let's just keep trusting me. Let it be. Until today, he says it was the best thing I've ever done because no one's actually made me look so good. I come in and I do a shoot. This is like, you directed the whole thing from get-go. Yeah. So a lot of support, a lot of support. My mom's been a support. Yes, she's, been a support financially to a certain extent at the beginning stages. She did help me to a certain point. But then after that, I had to be on my toes yeah. because I have to speak my own language. But it's not one of those things where she's been, I've been launched because of her. I've launched my own terms, but parents will support you if they, you know, they want to see you do well, they will support you. Yeah. And that support I had because I've also supported her. I produced a fashion show for her at the age of 17. That's the reason why I got into university. 17, I produced a fashion show, 22 models, 10 days. Our choreographer oh, yeah. dropped out. I stepped in with two of my friends. We went in, produced a fashion show. And honestly speaking, it's like working day and night. There was no Facebook, Instagram, DM me. You wanted to no, call every single one by one, flip flown. Yo, Yasmin, are you available for this thing? We're doing it in Wembley, yeah? You're coming, yeah? Safe, man. Cheers. <laughs> you know, it was like, please come, mate. You know, like it was one of those things. And then... Yeah. And this is 10 rooms, which is uh, Cafe Royal. If you know Cafe Royal, the yeah, venue, yeah, they had a nightclub, it had a nightclub called 10 Rooms. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. My, my mom took 10 rooms as the whole nightclub. This is part of Asiana thing. Yeah. I've done it. I've worked with Asiana exhibition with them, but not yeah. as my brand, but for my mom's brand, I helped her. Yeah. 
And because I was a choreographer, I remember one day she was like, yeah, we've got two weeks into it. She's booked it. She goes, I've taken the biggest room. And because she was also obviously at the height of her career, she wanted to do something. She goes, we're going to do this art installation, fashion show. I'm going to take the whole nightclub to my space. Okay, okay, cool, whatever. She's got a choreographer and everything. 10 days into it, she goes, the choreographer has dropped out because it's been double booked. I'm like, so what are you going to do? So this is me, 17 year old saying, mom, you know, I was thinking, uh, let me produce it. <laughs> she looked at me thinking, you know, I'm like, no. Really? Call two, yeah, call two of my friends, Gabby, Erica. We're like, guys, we got this thing because we were so hungry to do things, right? We're like so hungry to do things. I'm like, come home. They came home. We basically structured the whole thing and a day by day word choreographed. And we did this really tricky thing. I said, instead of we trying to micromanage everything, let's pre-produce the whole show. One hour, count all the steps. We measured the catwalk step. We went to the, uh, they measured yeah. it, replicated it in the garden. And we counted the steps. So five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, right till the end, how many steps it takes. So how long does the track needs to be? Chopped, edited pre-planned it, got the models ready on the day, all we did was press play, and we had a show, a show designer who did the lighting and stuff, and he's someone who's experienced. He does last London Fashion Week. He was scared because he saw these kids are doing it. He yeah. came up to me because you have no idea what you've done. You've produced a professional class show. And I was like, no, I haven't. I know you have. That's what really, you know, that relationship I built at age 17 was paying me off five years later when I was launching my label. Yeah. So, so it's a relationship building process. So, um, yeah, so I have done exhibitions like the Bride Lux and I've done uh, a Neo, Neo Fashion Week. I've done loads of other things like off schedule stuff, but it's been consciously decided of how I'm going to place myself. Yeah, I'm not want to be everywhere. I want to be where I feel my brand should be. I so it. I have to decide and it makes it difficult, but I love this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel like this has been such a good conversation. <laughs> Same. <laughs> We've gone it's not hanging time. out we're just no, we're just it, it, hanging it, it, out like. we're just hanging out on like instagram we're just, just hanging like, out a conversation um yeah let's just quickly oh my god i have so many questions for your dance career now but um let's just quickly go and talk about your dance journey obviously we mentioned company 68 we've talked about snatched i want to discuss quickly this wonderful piece that you did yeah. you performed oh my God. Yes. you performed at breaking convention and um, yeah you performed at OVA awards i basically two minutes let's just do this talk to me about bdc in new york when you did their three month to seven month program um and how molecules came to be You've done the 201 Dance Company production as well, which I, I think last time I spoke to you about as well, which I watched. And it was Smother, really yeah. Yeah, it was really beautiful. But um, yeah, yeah. talk to me about dance and its importance and like your journey, molecules of a dream. Uh, that process as well in breaking convention? Because that's what like eight, eight weeks? How, mu- how many weeks is it that you spend with these artists and create this work? Um, so breaking convention, wow. That was like a dream because I grew up, I, I, part of me has grown up going to breaking convention and seeing John just convention. do his thing. Oh. Just like, it's like, it's like we, me and my friends, we just sit and drew like one day we'd want to be there. One day I want to be there. Like it was written in my head. I want to be there. Yeah. And that, that, that dedication just came with, so I always wanted to, it was like a bucket list. I always wanted to go to a dance school, period, at some point in my life. Even if it was for one week, like yeah. I really wanted to just be there. But BDC was something four years in the making. Yeah. I sat and thought, oh, look at that. I was so much, I was so much more less in weight that I could jump that high. Four years in the making, 
every day, every year, I would sit down and look at the form and like, I'll fill it in, I'll fill it in and fill it in, fill it in. And then I came to a point where I really needed a sabbatical from my work. I had reached a point of exertion and I felt like, and this is when the vitiligo thing was happening as well. Yeah, I, was yeah. like, I can't, I need, a, I need a lifestyle change. I need a complete change and reboot. So I was going through a Batman reboot then and decided well, that you Christian I... Bale? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't do a Toby. So that's really good. I didn't do a spider. I didn't do a spider, spider, spider sense. So yeah, but no, I, oh, that's amazing. I wish we could, I'm going to, I wish you saved this and send it to me, please. No, so, this is um, going to be saved. I'll save it on IGTV. Uh, so I, I'm going to, uh, so I'm going to quickly tell you like how, just to jump straight into BDC was like, I finally decided I'm going to do it. It was like yeah. a, five weeks before I did it. I sent my application the, 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 the day of the deadline because I was so nervous because I was yeah. like, how am I going to stop working? How am I going to do this? How am I going to not be part of a family business? Like the, like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, even though I want to. So I'm going through this whole, I can't do this kind of phase. And I did it. And two days later, I got it. I said, you've been accepted. And please follow the application process and the visa process for coming to America and everything. So I needed the M1 visa and all that because obviously I was going there as a student. I kid you not, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go to a dance school. I was like, I always want to be in a dance school and I want to go, but I was like, this is my Shah Rukh moment, man. I'm going to come out as ripped going. You know, I, it's like I, I came with the, I came, came in the black bands and left with the white one. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. So um, um, my, my journey was very very testing because I would prepare everything and I had no formal experience. I had yeah. pieces of work. Come to New York, go in and I'm like, wow, walking through the hallway of all these teachers like Michelle Petronelli, like, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and you know, so many like Galen Hooks and all these guys are like masters, like Bonnie and Brinda Gua. Like these are guys are faculty members at that time. And, you know, it's just as amazing to see all these beautiful souls who are like, you just, you, I felt like I was in a movie. BDC was basically exactly what I needed at that time, living in New York all myself, going for dancing, 24 hours, 14 lessons a week, two of them ballet. The first time I did ballet, I was known as the pigeon because I would never jump and land in the same spot ever. And I had a strict Russian teacher. He had a Rolex. He was in his oh, 60s. God. He was like, you pigeon, jump for me. And you know, like... Like, it was like, you know, this brown dude trying to do ballet just wasn't happening. All these things that you see on Netflix was like part of the making at that time. It was just like, we were like part of the making. So, but it was this explosive, educational, transformational, spiritual, what we call it, uh, building block of me becoming a more of a formal dancer, of a formally trained choreographer, thinking yeah. exactly how I did think and create. And every, th so I was meant to be there for three months. I decided to be there for 10. Because I was like, I, I'm going to finish this whole course. Yeah. Every, every three months, we did a showcase. We choreographed. Yeah. So I did my first one, which I did. My first choreographer was New York to, uh, New, York to New Delhi. Yeah. That was my first choreographic piece. Then I did what we call dance spots, where we did these scientific experiments of dancers in a lab becoming these robots. Dance spots, so cliche, wherever it is. So da 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 da, you know, I threw in some Imran Khan in it and I threw in some jazz in it and threw some just a mash of things basically what it was. And it was very really new at that time, 2013. Yeah. And um then came Molecules of a Dream was in well in conceptualized there because it was the winter around this time, it was my grandfather's birthday, like it was his his death anniversary, and I was really sort of alone and I was thinking about him and I think I want to choreograph something that represents him. Yeah. And I wanted to choreograph 
something that inspires his values and stuff and molecules of dream was just a dream is like it is dream it was just all about exploring the idea of a dream and dreams are built of different molecules that you remember and yeah. moments you remember and it was this whole facade of what is ideal version of you as a gene of your grandfather what would it be like as a dance format and that's what it was i tried to replicate looking at my and that's where the mustache came from it came because of molecules of dream i had exactly 3 and a half months before i had to submit this i grew my mustache to become the character wait you I grew, grew from this i grew i i that's what i became by the time i left new york this is what it was because i became the character i i so believed in it so much and choreograph and the biggest challenge was choreographing to bohemian rhapsody of all songs was bohemian rhapsody is like how am i going to pull this off because how can you dance to this musical orchestra piece of a legendary artist you know like how can you do it? like in a queen oh my god it's so good my favorite bit is like the revolving door situation that you do when it's like yeah it's like my favorite bit that you do and, and then all of a sudden it drops into you know jz like uh, goes from the, the jz and justin timberlake and but it was more of this style i was one, basically the way to do it is choreography and style so i was doing the style of entry basically yeah. what it was i coined this thing called style elementary that's what i was doing so that basically became a process and um i performed and i didn't realize i was going to win an award i won an outstanding choreography award for producing yeah. this piece then i decided to take this forward and then i had just applied to and i was in india when i applied for the auditions for for application for a breaking convention yeah. and i just put it in and then like a week later i got this letter and i just screamed it was like 3 o'clock in the morning and i called my friend i called erica and i'm like erica breaking convention and she's like who they gonna like i said no and like, it happened man i'm like no breaking convention book your book your ticket she's like no way i was like your childhood dream has come true i'm like you're going to be performing at breaking convention i'm like yes and they i went to the audition i remember like John Z just asking me questions he goes can we tweak a little bit because it was a 7 minute they wanted yeah. to squeeze it down to 4 and a half so they squeezed it down um because I extended it and they they just wanted to keep it to this true form and then he they were just enamored by my presence like how you explained it they just felt this aura and just like this guy needs to be there and they didn't want to compromise it and next thing I know is like the same year the twins was performing oh, at yeah. breaking convention so i i see i see a poster of me in tubes in underground of my name next to the twins like headlining like sunday show like sarin kohli and co and then this and i'm like oh my god breaking convention sadler's wells and i'm like and what made me so proud is that i don't know if i was one of the first agents but it's definitely like i put my culture on the stage i wore that turban i wanted to be represented and i really did that i felt yeah. so proud because when i was off stage and i was in the crowd and i was talking everyone's congratulating me i saw a little sikh kid who had brought his dad and like they were so and they wanted to be seeing what it was this was about i felt that I did something that's all i wanted to do i had an effect on an audience and i had that and it was the most amazing experience to be able to perform on a beautiful stage of Sadler's Wells and come out of that and have this applause and it was just like you know what i would do this again again if they want to pay me i was fine i'll give my blood and sweat for this and that's the love of dance i knew that i reached the point where i'm like yeah ab to me mar jaona kafi hai like and then you did olivia but die tomorrow i'm sorry then you did olivia awards yeah. which is a whole 
magnitude of things and I saw you I was back I was like we just came off and we finished performing and I went into the audience and I saw you performing and I was just like wow I was yeah, just like wow, wow. Just, yeah Livy was like yeah I mean that was an experience I never felt that we could be represented all that way like we would have the opportunity to be pushed to that platform and they baking John Z had put a PR person especially for me yeah to say we need to get you pushed forward like he believed in it more than I would see it he saw the potential and i have so much respect for him a lot of people may not agree with what he does or he does but i feel that he has taken hip hop dance to the point of the highest extreme they could have done and sustained it for so long it's yeah. not easy for anyone to be in that position no great so yeah that's that's basically yeah it was an amazing experience to be part of the livia awards and do that it was just like wow like yeah i i i don't know like pinch myself you said up a pinch moments on myself but yeah. i wouldn't be disappointed with like But yeah, it was a beautiful experience of able to be a choreographer and be able to represent our heritage and our culture to the point where it merges so well with mainstream that was the best for I put forward. I think that brings me to my next point which I think we're just going to brush up on which is like I think digital fame and all of these things are great that you know we we are not outsourcing for becoming like Instagram influencers and things like that but actual impact of such as yourself and the work that you've done like breaking convention and olivia awards till this day all of these platforms need to happen because i think like i haven't seen anything like that since there's been great acts and there's cultural diversity and like you know in in the glow theater there was a whole asian production of like romeo and juliet um and you know there's great companies but i think like those things need to happen and i think to that to that sort of sphere nothing's happened yes it's like things like merchants of bollywood has taken place to uh, to that but i think but i think I I think we have so much more to offer but I think we're in a much better position where theater has become people or we as an audience like uh, uh I would say south asian audience are taking theater much more seriously now that yeah. we're taking conscious decision to go watch theater much more than we ever did before apart from just sticking to bollywood there is some <laughs> alternative I just feel like we have alternative streams of so many things channels yeah. you know channels like there's comedy nights now and there's there's dance nights now there's like you know improv nights i feel like we as 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 a generation are also merging into different formats and we're encouraged to explore those formats but we yet to see a whole new movement of dance being represented of but then i always feel that we as a community have always more to offer i feel exactly. that we're not tapped because you could always we have a lot of rabbits in the hats that we can pick out like agree we there's no and it's not just bollywood it's not just we are a we are good bacteria we grow that's how we see it we're just good bacteria bro <laughs> we're good brown bacteria that will just grow okay wait that's, that's second one was it to like how oh, is the antidote and bacteria <laughs> and stuff no brown <laughs> ジャパンイズ。クレイバーブラウンウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウェイウ
unfortunately we'll have to say bye so this is the point in the show that was meant to happen an hour ago but we're gonna play a game called sip a chai or play with rye where i'm gonna ask you questions and get you to do things and if you want to do and answer them you just nastily as it sounds you play with rye or you sip your chai all right okay you are creating a collection a new collection okay you're gonna name it and you're gonna explain the campaign to me okay I'm going to give you a bunch of names and you can only pick one of them to feature in this entire okay. campaign. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Remember, you're answering with creating a collection where you're going to call it. So you need to tell me what the name of it is going to be and explain the campaign to me. Okay, go. I'm going to give you the names. Michael Jackson, Frank Sinatra, James Brown, Lee Twins, Prabhu Deva, Robbie Downey Jr., The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, David Gandhi or Shahid Kapoor. You can only have one. Michael Jackson. Okay, what would the collection be called? Shimon. <laughs> and explain, explain the campaign and some of the clothing to me. It's going to be bling. It's going to be floaty. It's going to moonwalk you left, right and center because those trousers are going to be stretchy. Yeah. And you can get to places quicker. But the best thing is you get that job in that office. You yeah. turn around, do that spin and go. I got it. So it's going to be yeah. a campaign. Describe the campaign to me. The campaign is going to be uh, brown bacteria moonwalking through the streams of... <laughs> it's going to be a world campaign of uh, moonwalking together. So it'll be a global diversity-based thing that we're going to moonwalk from one... So I'm, I can imagine an Instagram feed going from like one screen to moonwalk. Yeah. It becomes the other one going there. It becomes on that. It becomes a full circle. And it's like every moonwalk will be in an alpha inspired by the collection. That would be nice, actually. That would be really nice. Um, and then you can have our installation in like central London. You know how there's that dandy woman with like a stick figure who's just like walking. I don't know where it is yeah. in central London. There is somewhere you could have one of those and then that could be like a moonwalk situation. There you go. Or it could be, it, it could be a thriller. It could be, a th there you go. Five things you cannot leave the house without. My phone, my wallet. Oh. Oh, five things, okay, that's two come things. On, come, on, um, come on, come on, come on, come on. My, 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 my headphones. Yes. My favorite pair of jeans okay. and my, uh, my house keys because I've been locked outside many times. <laughs> um, five staples a guy should always have in their grooming business situation or wardrobe. Go. A perfect navy blue suit, a perfect watch, a, uh, and not just expensive, but something that's an investment, uh, a tie, a pocket square, and the most well-made handcrafted pair of shoes ever. Made by Sutton Cooley. Yes. Thank you. And that was fine. And all of the, you no, all the above, all, uh, all the above are made by me, except the yeah. watch. <laughs> you could, yeah, hey, you never know. You could be a watch yeah. maker soon. Don't, don't oh, say Gabbana. yourself. Hey, uh, I'm going <laughs> to shout out. Um, I'm going to give you some trends, okay? If you think they are good trends, you're going to say Koji. Um, Get it? Koli, Koji. Um, okay. If they're not, sorry, bad, bad joke, bad joke. Um, if they're not, you say, go not. Okay, buy okay. clothes, like such Co as, such as, that's Snoop Dogg, by the way, on top. Koji. Koji. Skinny G. Koji. Koji. Back in the day, the Asian guys who were wearing contact lenses. Yes, with Moschino's fitted trousers. Yeah. 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 Mm. Oh man, but then then it, then it, then if you explain it to that way, then it's Kona. Kona. Okay, cool. Um, gelled hair, flat ironed, spiky, and everything. 
Because as a dancer, you know how to rock that thing. Damn. I used to love it when in his show, he used to do shots. That was the best thing ever. Um, favorite movie? Uh, in terms of Hollywood, Bollywood? Any. Favorite movie of all time? Oh, all time? Yeah. Oh, my God. Favorite movie of come all on, come time? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, uh, oh Jesus Christ. That, um, favorite movie of all time is Jesus Christ? No, it's not. It would, I would have said Rockstar after that. Um, uh, it has to... My favorite movie of all time is Godfather. Godfather. Favorite dialogue from the Godfather. <laughs> That's it, because everyone dies at the end of that. Everyone's ready, gone. It's like a, a, a melodramatic uh, movie. Everyone's favorite... Favorite... favorite song? Fell on the show. Oh, nice. Favorite food? <sighs> Indian. Because I get it for free. Not, not cuisine. Not cuisine. Favorite food day. <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, dish. Yeah. I love dosa. I love dosa. Dosa. Masala dosa. dosa. Um, any dosa. Any dosa. Favorite place to go on vacation? Oh, man. Quickly, say, this is uh, Rapid Fire. This is Rapid Fire. Could I, could I say one or two in the area? Hong, Hong, Hong Kong, Singapore. Singapore. Netflix and chill? Hong Kong, Singapore. Or dancing in the night away at the club? Oh, I really would love to dance away in the club right now. I feel like you're a very Netflix and chill person. I'm not going to lie. I fall, I, I, no, no. I fall asleep to uh, Netflix because I have to watch something to fall asleep. I can't just go, <sighs> I have oh, to really? watch something. And suddenly whole season at season episode nine in the morning. Wow. Suit or a onesie? Suit. Um, boots, smart shoes or trainers and um, vans? Trainers. Oh, okay. Biggest fashion I wear more pants. trainers than a, yeah. Wow. Biggest fashion faux pas that you have ever committed? <laughs> I have. Oh, wait, I, have I a used to wear. I can't. Oh my god, you had this baggy jean situation. Is it there? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. Used I was to wear those yes, that's it. Those 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 those, those Mi- Middle Eastern inspired scarves with. Um, I used to wear baggy jeans. Have a dog tag and name name belts. Name belts. Good time. Name belts. I used to have a hip hop name belts. What was your hip hop name belt called? Snatch. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Um, okay, this is the activity round. Are you ready? Everybody, I'm so sorry to interrupt in the middle of the show. However, as I mentioned before, Chai with Rai is an IGTV live show that I convert into audio format. So this section that you are about to listen to might not make sense because there's not a visual aspect. So if you would like to watch the video aspect of it, like I said, please head over to my Instagram at Raimuitfum. That's R-A-I-M-U-I-T-F-U-M and go to the IGTV section on my page and simply scroll through for the right episode however for now we're going to skip to the next section and i hope you guys enjoy all right that is it that is it well done well done well done also that solo that you have done to ganesh hedge if anybody hasn't watched it on youtube i thoroughly thoroughly want people to go online and watch that because that is I, I, I have to say this has been my favorite favorite live ever because 
I've never actually done a, a, a like a workout session and a chat and chai all in one. <laughs> this is so like much. a whole whole experience. You're giving me three three dimensional vibes, bro. Oh, oh, I cover it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> We're at the end now, finally. It's literally been like a gup shop. It has actually been. I've enjoyed it. Just, just you know, I've, just I've got been the opportunity to just dance and chill. Thank you to everybody who's been out. here for such a long time. Yeah, I'm thank really you every th thank you to everyone that's been here. It's Rekha, thank. It's the longest life. It is the longest life. It is the longest life. Someone had to break the world record. It's I think Instagram. Like, we broke the record. We could go to four hours, but let's not. Okay. Yeah. I want to discuss upcoming projects. What are your upcoming projects? Obviously, other than this wonderful vitiligo mask that you've got going on. Upcoming projects is my online store is going to be launched in December. So that's going to have some pieces that be going live. So that's uh, the first thing that's going to happen. Um, and uh, we'll be releasing something vitiligo related early next year, which is, which I'm sort of almost in the midst of getting it started. Yeah. So that's the next thing. And... Uh, yeah, that's the two immediate things that I'm actually doing at the moment. So let's see like how it all gets formulated. But those are two most immediate things. And yes, dance-wise, if something happens, I would love to. But I think my next thing would be working with um, with Remu on the, the uh, Vitiligo documentary. I would love that. I literally would love that. I really did really enjoy your conversation on Vitiligo. And I, I literally, like I said, I felt your passion and I would love to do something for it. I'm going to pull up a picture of a young Saranji. And I, I found this picture on your profile and I found it really beautiful. And we're going to discuss... <laughs> Oh my god! I think you look so handsome there. Not saying you don't look handsome license. now, but just saying. I do this thing which is called Peaks and Valleys, and looking at that young man over there in our picture, um, yeah. what have been some of the peaks and valleys in your life? And a peak is a lowest point, in, uh, a high point in your life that has taught you a valuable lesson, and what has it been? A valley is a down point of your life, and what lesson that it has taught you. So go ahead, go. My, my, my uh, pink would be my, my whole journey to New York studying dance. It's yeah. taught me resilience. It taught me resilience. It's taught me that no matter what's thrown at you, you can always rise above any obstacle. And um, it taught me a lot of lessons and I made one of the most amazing friends ever because I made true friends who actually were, 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 were there to help you and support you. So I am very, very grateful for having a lot of people in my life from that time and great, probably the most beautiful memories I've ever made. And a valley? Oh, there's been a few, <laughs> but I think my lowest time was the most difficult time for me was when I, when I, when my grand, I lost my best friend and my grandfather in a space of 10 days. Sure. Uh, that was the most difficult. My best friend from university, uh, Dara, and my and my my grandfather, uh, and that was my most difficult time. Uh, this is when I decided to be in India. So that that was what I learned from that is that you should you need to value and appreciate and clap for every person that you have in your life because yeah. you just never know. You never know. So appreciate what you have today. You have everything. Tomorrow you'll have nothing. But one thing you'll definitely have is good good hearted relationships that will pull you through. So. And we all matter in that sense to be a value in our relationship and yeah. be grateful.
Be grateful. I agree. Um, any message you would give to good old Saren back there? Change your hairstyle, mate. That ain't going good. That that is, wow. is that gel. That is complete gelled out massive. That is the days of gelled out hair, wow. and you just had to have that wet dripping. Do you, do you like this one? Oh no, I can't get. Well, no, I'm glad that one is not. I'm glad that I love my chest there. It's, it's perfect. Thirty six. I think your chest in here is pretty magnificent. Ooh, yeah, look, that's at, that. look I, at that. I I would love myself there because. Um, my body was at its peak then. Six packs, everything. I was ripped. I was my. I was on a nutrition. I had a nutritionist for my diet. Oh, really? I was. I, I came out as Superman when I went there. I was like Milka Singh, mate. Hey, you are still very handsome. You're still very great. So don't worry about Thank any you. of that. All right. Lasting words. Any lasting words that you have anything to say? Uh, I think I've definitely found a solution to racism to, to some extent. So that's one. So I'm definitely going to be the vaccine. Um, lasting words is that I feel, Remu, you are in an amazing human you are absolutely a, a light bulb in all the dark places because you actually bring a lot of people together you always have a positiveness and i've honestly this is this is an honest thing that the time we've had we've spent very very small amounts of time yeah. and it's been on job and we've spent more times on jobs but i actually i remember when we did the levi's no sorry lee cooper oh, yeah. and it was just an amazing time to spend because i feel you really are a soulful person and you really spread this aura uh so i'm really grateful for that 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 uh, we've crossed paths and i hope that we actually get to collaborate on something right. and uh, right. off offline i know we've collaborated on live and we broke yeah. the record for this but i think offline it'd be really nice to you know and and uh and for everyone who took their precious time out, yeah. who's been watching us and just, just stuck with this, uh, if someone's been there from the beginning, honestly, like, I really appreciate your time because it's, time is the most important currency at the moment. Yeah. And you've spent it very wisely on us. So I really appreciate it. There's no refunds for this. We can't go back. We can't, I can't redo everything no, I did. There's nothing. So, yeah. So thank you for that. This is a good value for money. You've got entertainment for free and you didn't have to sign up for it. Yeah, there you go. No, thank you so yeah. much. And likewise, I think the world of you and I think you have a beautiful story and a, an amazing journey ahead of you. And I am very grateful for the connections that I've made and for meeting you. And like I said, I think when I saw you performing at the Olivia Awards and just representing and just being the person that you are, it really is a privilege to know you. And I look forward to thank working in, with you in the future in whatever capacity it is to be to be given the 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 touch of success by you you know the success that you've had in the story that you've had i really it's really inspirational so thank, thank you. you any um i just want to end on a fun note what sort of chai are you drinking what sort of chai are you i love i love i, I make an amazing chai. i actually make lovely chocolate chai by the way so that's Whoa. definitely what i make yeah uh but i make my chai as humble as possible with 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 ginger cardamom cinnamon elaichi and uh, and a little bit of now and then in the winter, I put a little bit of nutmeg here and there. But, yeah, that's a spiced up. Yeah, when it's chocolate chai, it's chocolate chai with whipped cream, honey drizzle, and crumbs of of uh, Oreos or or just lovely biscuit on top. Well, that brings us to an end, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did so, make sure to subscribe, follow, and spread the love. Share this with a friend, an auntie, your nephew, your niece, that creep, or that neighbor, you know, the one I'm talking about. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow. 
By the way, if I haven't said this before, to watch any of the previous or this very episode's video, simply go to my Instagram at rhymeitfum. That's R-A-I-M-U-I-T-F-U-M and scroll through my IGTV. I hope you have had an amazing day or night if you're listening to this before sleeping. I'm wishing you all love and light. And as I always say, breathe in, breathe out. Namaskar. <laughs> Meaning now I must go. That's copyrighted. I own it. And I will see you just saying. But for real, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been my pleasure. Stay curious. And until next time.